seven teams remain in the hunt for the NWA Tag Team Championship. Rick Rude, Sonny Steve Austin, Dustin Rhodes, and Barry Windham. The fabulous Freebirds, the team representing Japan. Ricky Steamboat and Nikita Koloff, Flying Brian, Jushin, Thunder Liger, and one team already in the semifinals, Dr. Death and Terry Bam Bam Gordy. And then with a world title, it's Sting and Big Van Vader as we present the Great American Badge. You're looking live in the Albany Civic Center, and it's packed to the rafters for World Championship Wrestling's Summertime Extravaganza in July. It's the Great American Bash. Well, it's time. It's time. It's Vader time. to the Retro Wrestling Podcast. This is episode number 83. I'm intern Alex, joined as always by the one and only, the greatest referee in professional wrestling history, Patrick Young. And Patrick, last week when we were recording our very important show, the, the most important wrestling podcast in the world, you, the, the only wrestling podcast, I'm pretty sure. I don't think there's any other... There's we're, no one else talking about pro wrestling out there. We're the only one that matters. You're right, exactly. And during our important podcast, unfortunately, it stormed every day in our town last week. It and has. For, for almost eight days, we've had solid straight rain. I started to question whether this was like Groundhog Day and we were just reliving the same day over and over because it was like clockwork every day at a certain time. You know it's going to storm really bad for ten minutes. And random strange shit has happened too in our town. Or just, I don't know, maybe it's just to me. Oh, there's been a sinkhole? A sinkhole has opened up downtown. My TV catches fire. It was a warning. Too much wrestling on that Too much wrestling. And then this morning, you had to get me off the side of the interstate, practically. Yeah, you have a pretty new truck. A brand brand new Ford F-150. Have you even had it a year? Has it been a year? No, it hasn't been a year. A brand new Ford F-150, and apparently my starter and my battery just kicked the bucket all at once. Yeah, after you had taken it out. On a drive. Yeah. So it wasn't even like you went out to the driveway to Didn't find it. Didn't even drag when you're starting it, nothing. Next thing I know, boom, I'm stuck. Just, there you go. Yeah, during the uh, storms we were recording and we had to stop twice because the power flickered on and off. It came right back. Right. Even though I saw it on my computer on the timeline, even after, when I finally sat down to edit the thing, I could see the audio, I could hear it. But when I went to export it, because you have to export it from one program to get to another, uh, it said, I can't find the files. I figured it was those two parts that we had to redo. And so I took the rest of the file and that was fine. So I salvaged what I could. And then, but when I went to listen back to it, we start, it was starting in the middle of our news. So I, I didn't want to just include starting in the middle of the news because it seemed weird so i just cut all the news from last week 
So we didn't have a news segment. So we the, didn't. So we're gonna, show, have an, we're gonna have an extended long news segment this week. Well, I mean, you really do need the show to go two hours. I mean, you just the people need two hours of us talking about pro wrestling. That is usually very dated uh, news by the time they hear it. Because see, I'm always nice. I like to give them three, three and a half, four. We need a podcast to go longer than this year's WrestleMania upcoming. That's what we need is like an eight and a half hour podcast. Or we could just watch it live and and <laughs> just bullshit. <laughs> that would be terrible. <laughs> But what do you have for us from the news desk this week, sir? Alright, so, give you news from last week as well as this week. This is a tribute show to Big Van Vader. Yes, I included the WWE had produced a little tribute video for him, which they did not air on Raw, by the way, which I think was really fucked up of them. I agree. Uh, All they did was give him the little in memoriam graphic, which is... They've tiered off this memorial system, basically. Like, some people just get the, the in, mo- in memory of a uh, little graphic at the start. Some people get a 10-bell salute. And then some people get all three, a 10-bell salute, the memorial graphic, and then a video package, all in raw. And then some don't get shit. Yeah, some people just don't get mentioned at all. Vader got the lowest tier, next to not being mentioned at all, and just got an uh, in-memoriam graphic. And But even though they produced this video, which was a fine video, it, yeah. had, uh, it mentioned his work and the other companies. It showed him winning his WCW title, which is what we'll talk about later on, and it showed the Boy Meets World clips. Yeah. They pretty much had it down. Had sound bites from people about how great of a wrestler he was, and so I just don't understand why they didn't air it on Raw, but whatever. Okay. So, yes, Leon White passed away. Now it's been a couple weeks of uh, pneumonia. His heart finally gave out. He had had heart problems for a long time, had a couple of open heart surgeries this year, and then got pneumonia, and that was it. And this was this comes about two years to the day when he said, I have two years to live. And so, sadly, Leon White is no longer with us, but a great career, an amazing big man. Uh, we'll heap a lot more praise on Vader as we get into the show, but I think it's his death was a big enough news story where it made like ESPN, it made CNN, it wasn't... Well, we talked about it. It didn't get aired, obviously, because of our problems, but we talked about it. When you think of wrestling, when you go up to somebody, you you said it perfectly, when you go up to somebody off the street who's not a wrestling fan, and you just show them a couple of pictures, and you're like, pick out who you think's a real wrestler. Nine times out of ten, they're going to pick out Leon White. He is the idea of what a pro wrestler should be, and that's larger than life, uh, has a very different look from somebody else. I mean, even not just his size, but the mask, the haircut, the weird double mohawk thing he had going on, his Vader symbol with his hands, you know. He had all the layers. He had that great helmet when he came out. He had props, you know. He was was a large... He was a superhero character. He was a... He was a super villain, actually, more often than the hero. But, you know, yeah, if if I showed you a picture of Daniel Bryan in a plaid shirt and I showed you a picture of Big Van Vader and said, which one's a pro wrestler? Even if you had no idea, you could say that man, that man is a pro wrestler. Yeah. 100 percent. Because, yeah, he he embodied what I think of when I think of pro wrestling. And that's why he lives in such lore, I think, even uh, from his time in Japan. That's why. And I mentioned this to you. There was a game for. The Super Nintendo called Saturday Night Slam Masters, and there's a character that's totally built on Big Van Vader. It's not called Vader, but he influenced people that much to where it's like he's included as a generic wrestler type yeah. because he's that special. And as far as big men go, I mean, he changed 
the way big men are thought of, that they have to be stationary and slow, and they need to get tied up in the ropes, and you need to just bump around them, and then if you hit a slam on them, you'll win the match. Yeah. No. This guy is here to fucking fight you, and he will fight you tooth and nail. He's going to be as athletic as you, even if you're the smaller man, maybe even more so. It's going to be like nothing you've ever encountered in the ring in a big man before. Right. He's not just going to mope around like Giant Gonzalez. And like I said to you last week when it when we lost our, our news feed, is like, you know, I love Andre the Giant a lot, but I think Vader is probably a more amazing big man, technically speaking. To see a guy who's 450 pounds do a moonsault off the top rope is a, a sight that I just don't think people actually understand. But not only that, the way he ran the ropes, the, oh, yeah. the punches he threw. I oh, mean, his forearms were deadly, man. Yeah, and he was a tough guy, and he uh, was... And I said last week, you know, in my opinion, the first guy to ever bring out the, even before Taker, the MMA-style gloves. I mean, you never really saw anybody with those types of gloves before until he walked onto the scene in WCW wearing them, and you're like, what the... Which was the allure of this guy even more, because it, it made him stand out like... Oh, he's a big, massive dude, and he's scary, but, yeah, he's gloved up. He's ready to go. Like, he's ready to kick ass and take names. You better, if you step in that ring, you better be able to back it up. Just a very awesome dude, and I thought had a lot of personality that never got shown. I mean, he was always, he was often described as a teddy bear. He was very, I've seen, I've watched some of his shoot interviews the last couple of weeks and stuff, and he was well-spoken. I mean, the guy could talk, and, yeah. but... You know, being a monster, you like that. You know, what do they tell him to do? Oh, shout, you know, yeah. Vader time, just scream. But a really big loss, one of the, the bigger losses we've had. He was still pretty active uh, wrestling. I mean, wrestled Will Ospreay two years ago. Yeah. I mean, in a very limited capacity, but this guy was still... He's on Raw, what, three or four years ago? Yeah, with Heath Slater. But you and I were in Orlando, and we were doing the whole WrestleMania thing, and... It had just come out, Vader had two years to live. And his line was long, longer than Shawn Michaels, longer than Ric Flair, longer than Sting. His line looped around practically the outskirts of the entire venue. Would you agree? It was, a, it was, it was huge. I had never met this man. And so I, I got in line. I paid my respects. I wanted to you know, get in line and just meet the man. I, I didn't care if I got an autograph or a picture or nothing. I just wanted to be like, hey... You know, it's nice to meet you, kind of thing. There's a guy in front of me. I'll you can listen to my soapbox if you want to go back and listen to our other ones. But uh, he had an entire Tupperware tote. Is that a good explanation? I came and went from the line and checked in on you, and yeah, that dude was up there a long He time. had like 75, 80 items to get autographed. I bitched because it had just come out that here he is, he has two years to live. And this son of a bitch is taking full advantage of that fact, and it pissed me off. And but I, you know, he was nice. He and he signed every little piece of, you know, thing the guy wanted signed. He took a picture with him. He was very nice, you know. Well, he did make a lot of money off that guy. I mean, that guy yeah. had to pay like, man, a lot. Now, I mean, that guy's probably listed all that shit on eBay the past week, so right, he's cashing it out. But look, I don't want to sign that many autographs in a row for one person and then know that. You know, while I'm doing that, maybe other people in the line are going to walk away or whatever, you know. But Vader, yeah, he did it. And he just calmly was like, you know. and But I got up there and I told him, I was like, you know, I'd like to have one autograph if possible. I said, I'm not going to hit you with like 80 items. And he, he laughed. But uh, 
he was just nice, man. And I got to talk to him. He gave each and every person the respect and the time to get out what they wanted to say to him or to have a conversation, have that one-on-one time. It wasn't like, here's your picture, here's your autograph, next. Here's your picture, here's your autograph, next. Like, he was really one-on-one with each and every person. And that was cool to me, was he gave me like five minutes of his time. We talked for a few minutes, and I just told him, I was like, in my opinion, you are pro- quite possibly the greatest big man in wrestling. And we talked about just, you know, reminisce for a second his, you know, his eyeball popping out in, in Japan. And I was like, I just told him, I said, that's one of the most disgusting things I've ever seen. You know, it was shocking and he laughed, and, but he was, he was very well-spoken and very true to form one-on-one with each and every single person. And apparently the stories that are coming out after his passing, because that was the one and only time I met him, is he was that way all the time. It wasn't just because it was this one experience. He was that way all the time. I hate he passed. I really, it's a, it's a major loss. It's a major loss to this world of sports in general. It, it's a very sad loss. And, and because of that, we're showing respect and covering, in my opinion, one of his biggest moments in stateside, anyway, in, uh, in, in his career. Yeah, and so uh, we'll get we'll get more into uh, Leon White Vader as we uh, review Great American Bash '92. Uh, we'll get to that in a minute, but we also had some other losses in the world of wrestling. We did Johnny Attitude. Johnny Attitude, my good friend uh, John Green. He was a jobber for WCW, better known as Johnny Attitude. But afterwards, he got out and uh, he just realized that the sport and wrestling was kind of there wasn't a need for minis anymore. And he didn't, they weren't getting utilized the way that he thought they should be. And he took this idea and MCW and turned it around and formed an entire wrestling promotion about nothing but minis. And uh, not only did it take off, it got a reality show with Hogan and Bischoff on True TV and Brian Nobbs added in there too, and it's just great, man. He he saw a need out there for these guys, and he took full advantage of it. But he was another one, man. He's the type of guy I could hit him up in a message, a fan could message him, whatever, and he's he'll give you his he'll be completely upfront and honest with you, but he'll be polite and he'll give you this true. Here it is. And whenever they came locally to town or came nearby, he would always shoot me a message like, hey, you know, come on out and see us and we're going to be here. And I'd be like, all right, I'm going to try to make it. And, you know, sometimes I did, sometimes I didn't. But uh, he was just a great guy. You know, I always was very impressed by, like, Max Minnie. And, I mean, I guess that's probably the one of the greatest. But you go was... back to Lord Littlebrook or Little Beaver or um, the Haiti Kid. Oh, like, right, yeah. The, those guys paved the ground for that work and when they when the 80s died off they died off and then Vince used them for a split second during the Attitude Era and that was it and you know here it is This there's the next generation of, of people who who really wanted to to be in this business but because they were born a certain way they couldn't no that's bullshit man get the fuck out of here don't be don't yeah well as much as the wwe likes to promote acceptance and special olympics and doing everything you know for people you know 
Connor's Cure and, you know, helping yeah. out the less fortunate or people that have a, you know, don't have the edge that you have in life. No jobs for you, you know. And then, yeah. oh, we'll bring you in to get big booted by big casts or whatever. But yeah. other than that, we don't have any work for you. Sorry. That's, yeah, fuck that. Yeah. Because we can get into every other area of wrestling, and you know. You know? What's bullshit, too? What's bullshit is there's other promotions out there like Impact, like others that just flat out don't want to do it either. That pisses me off. I think that they're probably worried that it's a negative look, but, you know, the minis, if they want to wrestle, I mean, what's... They're entertaining. They're a great match. Some of the best matches I've ever seen is with the Haiti Kid and Little Beaver and Lord Littlebrook. Some of the worst things you can do is actually if you only bring them in to just have big casts, you know, beat them up. Well, that makes them look stupid. That That's more... That's way worse than just Go having... Go back to them. WrestleMania 3 and King, King Kong, Kong Bundy. Bundy. Yeah. Beating up on it. I mean... Yeah, I, I just think it's silly that, you know, uh, a part of pro wrestling's history as far as, like, you know, minis wrestling has just, just got dropped, you know, right. for really no reason. And know? this and, and this was a guy, John Green, he fully... He believed that to his core as well. And he and he took it very serious. Think of how many years that Hornswoggle got out of work and, and how much work he gets on the indie circuit That's and true. stuff. Like, That's true. You didn't see anything there, you That's know? True. You didn't see... I mean, you kept this guy they, they kept him... You're exactly right. Uh, not to interrupt, but you're exactly fucking yeah. right. I'm glad you brought that up. He was the last Cruiserweight title. And he was on the roster for like 10 years. Yeah. Like 15 years, maybe. You're exactly right. And you know what? And they even brought him back to being the greatest Royal Rumble. But you had this guy. There was, the crowd was the crowd loved him. What the fuck do you think you'd do? Maybe you go ahead and build up some sort of You've a got roster. all this time on the network to fill. A roster around him. <laughs> yeah. Because well, you especially had that in El Torito and... Oh, right, yeah. Well, I just think that especially now in the network era where they have all this time to fill on the network, they can do whatever they want. It wouldn't cost them very much to do it, and it would give these guys some exposure. Even if you don't have them as like full-time contracted workers, it, it increases their them, bookings on the indies. Yeah, if you pay them by appearance, even. that I agree. People would watch it. Yes, absolutely. People mm-hmm. would love it. and and But don't be a dick and start trying to do comedy shit. Stand yeah. back and let these guys go. Johnny Attitude saw that potential when he started micro-championship wrestling, and yeah... Had a true TV show with uh, Bischoff, Jason Hervey, and Hogan. And I uh, only had five episodes, sadly, before it was canceled. But, of course, that's airing on true TV. It's not marketed if it was on the network. And when you, when it's, I think this show would have succeeded if it was catered to a wrestling audience, didn't have all the reality show incorporation into it, and just had Minnie's Wrestling. I mean, yeah. that's cut all the bullshit out and just wrestling. To wrestling fans on a wrestling network, I think it would be fine. Yeah. One more uh, wrestler we had pass away. This just happened yesterday, but the day before we were recording, June 29th, we lost Matt Capitelli, who won the third season of Tough Enough, along with uh, John Morrison, Johnny Nitro. That was a season of Tough Enough that was all on SmackDown. It was the same year as the Divas Search, and so they gave Raw the Divas Search, and SmackDown had Tough Enough. Uh, They would do segments on SmackDown rather than having a fully-fledged show. And also to come out of that class was The Miz. Yeah. And also to come out of that class was The Boogeyman, who uh, lied about his age. They He was too old to make the, the list to begin with. But when they realized, you can't tell how old this fucking guy is with his face paint on, and they signed him right after that. So yeah. uh, they got a lot of talent out of this show. 
Uh, Capitelli came on SmackDown after he won and was paired with Johnny Nitro. They were a tag team for a brief moment, and they realized Capitelli probably needs a little more seasoning. And so they sent him back down to OVW, which was NXT at the time, basically, the training territory for the WWE before they moved it all to Florida. While at OVW, he's having a match, he gets a concussion, he goes to the hospital... Oh, it turns out, um, yeah, you don't have a concussion. You have brain cancer. Yeah. And on April 4th, 2007, so 11 years ago, said that he would undergo surgery for brain cancer. He did. The surgery was a success. Most of the tumor was removed. And towards the end of 2013, was able to come back to work at OVW and was the trainer for the beginner program. And so was was still working in wrestling. I feel terrible for the guy. Yeah. He was only 38 when he passed away, so he was only seven years older than I am right now, and that's just crazy. He had a wife that he married in uh, 2006. He was diagnosed last year with another form of brain cancer, though this time it was a much worse brain cancer. In fact, I was listening to a news report, which I'll include this news report that I found at the end of the podcast because I thought it was a really good, it's a really good piece on, on Matt Capitelli. And the last form of cancer that he had ultimately has never, no one's ever survived it. Yeah. So uh, Capitelli was a very promising talent. I think uh, he probably would have been very successful had this not, it just really sucks, uh, the luck that some people have. It's it's really unfair. And uh, his wife posted, uh, today, this is how the news broke. Today, my love, my strong, sweet, beautiful love took his last breath at 3.30 a.m. and went home to be with Jesus. Exactly one year after his brain cancer surgery, you think you can be prepared for this when you know it's coming, but you just can't. Uh, I miss him so much, and I know where he is. I know where he is now is a much better place, but it doesn't change how much I miss him. A very sad tweet that she put out, and um, I feel for him and his family and, and his friends. I never met the man. I don't. I didn't know much about the man. Uh, to tell you the God's honest truth, until I found out last year when we said something about this, uh, him getting his you know brain cancer again, I'd never heard of him. Because uh, when he, this was going on on SmackDown, it was on UPN, so we've covered... We didn't get UPN here. I didn't know that Tough Enough was even going on. I didn't... I, I completely didn't remember the man, unfortunately. He went to Western Michigan and was on the football team there, where he was also on the football team with Colt Cabana, so uh, another close friend of his in the pro wrestling business, and he was also good friends still with uh, John Morrison, who was the co-winner of that season of Tough Enough. Probably the most infamous story of Matt Capitelli and the company was that season of Tough Enough is when uh, Bob Holly was one of the trainers, and beat the piss out of the kids in one episode and is something that follows Holly to this day and it's something that looking back on it is really bad. I mean, there's no way for Holly to have known that this guy was going to have brain cancer in a couple years or anything, but it's a real bad look for Holly. It's one of those things that I really dislike Bob Holly for the segments and that they aired and what he did with Daniel Pewter and... Uh, it was really bad. <laughs> it's really bad in hindsight, especially uh, knowing the unfortunate luck that uh, Matt Capitelli had. But 
his dream of pro wrestling that, well, it didn't save his life, but it extended it because he found out about this from a pro wrestling injury. If he had not known, he might have just had an aneurysm one day and dropped dead and never known, and that would have been uh, 11 years ago. So, in some weird way, pro wrestling kept him around for a while. It also gave him a reason to get up in the morning, to go to work, to go put on his boots to train the next generation. He was still trying to work out and take care of himself. I mean, especially when it comes to brains and pro wrestling and all the uh, negative things that can be associated with it. In this case, it was actually something that uh, helped him catch this, this terrible disease that he had and uh, fight through it. It's one of those stories from pro wrestling that I always talk about that we don't get enough of the positive stories about how pro wrestling helps people. We always hear the sad stories and the negative ones. Uh, but here was something that it was he was so passionate about that it, it kept him going. I mean, I'm sure that the love and support of his wife was very helpful as well, probably more so than wrestling, but it helps when you're able to still, when OVW still opened their doors to this guy and gave him a job and, yeah, kept him around, kept him feeling like he was a part of it even when he couldn't be. Some guys would be hit with the diagnosis he had and say, well, I'll just go home and kill myself today. Because, I mean, this last or one... Or just sit down and give up. He, he was a fighter, and he fought until the very end. So, a very sad story from Matt Capitelli, but his fight will not be forgotten. My next-door neighbor, let's leave it at that, a man that I have known all my life, a man that I call a dear friend of mine, he, he has brain cancer. He's battling through this. And so this actually hits really home with me. Okay, now can we move on to some happy news, please? Big cast got released. I don't think that's happy news. A man oh, lo- okay. loses his job. I mean, that's not well, very happy. Yeah, now two weeks ago, uh, Big Cast was released. Uh, it turned out uh, they were not impressed with his performance. Uh, he went on a European tour, an overseas tour of some sort, and was rumored to have been uh, drinking heavily, uh, was not doing well with his scripted promos. Uh, he did not do what they asked him to do with a mini wrestler. They asked him to give this man a big boot and not do anything else and he gave him a big boot and he continued to beat him up he went into business for himself and that's a big no-no they tell you to do something a certain way and you don't do it unless you have a lot of stroke in that company and your name is triple h or Shawn michaels or steve austin or whoever cena Cena, roman reigns randy orton if you're not an absolute top card attraction and you think you can get away with it you're probably going to be in a lot of trouble. And Cass had a lot of potential, I thought, as a performer. Had been in the system a long time, though. Had been signed since 2011. So this was a long-term project. And even based on what I was seeing in the ring, I saw glimpses of, well, I think this guy could, could do something. He probably wasn't at the level he needed to be with as much time as they had invested in him. To come in with Enzo as over as those two guys were when they debuted... Like tearing them apart, though breaking them up was the worst thing that they could have done. In my it was too, it was premature, but at the same time, in their eyes, they're like, "Well, we've had you since 2011." You know, to us watching only if you don't watch the NXT program religiously and you only watch the main roster program, well, to us, it's only been a year or two. But to them, they're like, "This is year seven, and this we need to go ahead and move because we need to go ahead and get you to that next level." Because we've got a lot, we've been on this ride for a long time, and we need to go ahead and cash it in. All right. He and just wasn't living up to expectations. I said that he would be the next world champion. I think he could have been. I still stand behind that statement. He, he, I feel like he. 
someday will be the future of big man wrestling. Not to the extent of Braun Strowman is, but I could see a little time on the indie circuit. He's not going to have any problem with if he's willing. Oh, he's going to get work. I mean, absolutely. It's just about attitude and all the backstage stuff. Hopefully he can get that straightened out and come back. I think, I mean, he was also gifted. I mean, he was gifted Daniel Bryan's first program coming back from his injury. Yeah. I mean, that was only going to be, you can only do that once. And he was given that opportunity and kind of squandered it. You know, some of the blame does lie with him and some of the blame lies with the producers and the writers that give him the stuff. Why isn't it working? It's, I mean, when, when it's a totally scripted promo, how can you blame me for delivering it when it's shit that you fucking wrote? So I'm speaking for you. Yeah, I agree. You, you know, I mean, so that, I can kind of... I, I completely hate scripted promos. I wouldn't work well as a as a athlete, as a... As a sports entertainer? Sports entertainer. You couldn't put in, smiles in, on faces? In WWE, I, I, I mean, obviously I can referee WWE, but I, I, couldn't, I couldn't wrestle in WWE because I couldn't... If I'm going to do a promo... Give me a bullet point of what you want me to hit, or give me multiple bullet points. But I'm going to give it to you in my words. I'm not going to sit there and say what you want me to say, and you know, give me some sort of a box to work in, and I'll work in it. When you hand me out a whole freaking two-paragraph, three-paragraph, read this word for word, memorize it, learn it, here you go. No. Like, the, there's no emotion in it. There's no heart. There's no it. And and anyone who's in wrestling knows what it means. And if you have it, you're going to make it in this business. If you don't have it, you're not. And in a scripted promo, you can't get it. And Big Cass got screwed over in that concept. Well, right, because, I mean, he never learned anything else. Right. And just like I said, how can you improve... If you're not naturally good at acting or whatever, if you're great in the ring, I mean, AJ Styles isn't amazing on the mic with scripted promos. He does the best he can. He's amazing in the ring, and that gives him some leeway. But imagine if they just gave AJ Styles bullet points. He would be a million times better when he spoke instead of saying, you know, whatever. You know, Cass's tag partner, Enzo. They let Enzo speak, yeah. Shut the fuck up and let the man talk. And he did, and it worked, and it got over, and it was great. Cass was along for the ride. Cass got to live off of what Enzo was saying all right. those years. Right. So he had someone doing the speaking for him. All he all he had to do was point and spell out the word "soft." That yep. was the that was his usual pro. That was his usual contribution. How am I going to learn to be good at anything when I only have one line? When I'm Road Dog and Billy Gunn, and I'm just saying "suck it." How am I ever going to get to be a great king of the ring when you don't ever let me talk? When I yeah. don't ever, I can't ever develop. And that was at a time when they didn't do scripted promos. They just said, "We're not going to let you talk, Billy." You know, just say "suck it" and go out there and wrestle. You know, well, like, later on with Billy and Chuck and all that, we found out why we let him talk too much. <laughs> but but he's going to get a lot of work. He'll resurface. I I would be shocked if he didn't come back to the company. At some uh, point. Me too, because I I said it. Before, I'll say it again. I stand behind it. He is a future world champion. Because you can't be seven foot tall and be that thin, but yet that muscular and be able to move like that. I mean, unless you are in a rare breed like Braun Strowman. 
By the way, thank you. I was correct in Braun Strowman winning Money in the Bank. I just wanted to take credit for that. Well, I just thought that was the easy pick. That's why I did. I wasn't against the idea, and I, it wasn't a foreign concept to me. It just felt too easy. What's dangerous and what's what's more dangerous? A, a buffed up man with that can you know lift anything, trying to kick your ass. Oh well, he's walking around with a free contract that can cash in for a world title at any point in time. Like that's just, yeah, he that's can great. Fl- well, he's the monster in the bank, is how they branded him, Patrick. Which so. is brilliant. I love it. It works. It's great. Now, if they shut up with scripted promos, it'd be okay. Well, he does the best with them. <laughs> he, he does fine with he them. He does. Some people just do better than others with them. You know, it's not there's and there's talented athletes out there. There are talented wrestlers out there that can do a promo. Then there's some that can't. The ones that can but want to do it their way, just shut up and let me do my thing. Kind of like Enzo, aren't always getting to show their talents to the full degree because, oh, well, he can't do our scripted promo. You know why Mick Foley finally was let go as Raw General Manager? Not only because of his knee problems, because he had a hard time remembering their scripted promos. Well, yeah, I mean, the guy probably has trouble remembering a lot of things. (laughs) But I'm just saying. 20 years since Hell in a Cell, by the way, we also missed that anniversary so. we did that was this past uh, yeah, was King it? of the Ring 98 one night in Pittsburgh changes man's life 20 years I probably post, in I, some ways not for the better but in a lot of ways for the better CBS Sports posted a really cool video that I turned around and then posted onto our on my personal page and onto our uh, our podcast page and so uh, but yeah I think he would have trouble even just remembering them if there's some people I mean that's some people, they might even be good actors. They just have no memory. That was one of my troubles when, I mean, I'm not a pro wrestler, but in, in theater class and college and stuff, I had a lot of troubles remembering lines because it's just not something that I'm good at. I don't have very good short-term memory of, like, lines. And I don't. Ha- I also don't have the patience to go through a book and remember lines. I just get bored with it and just say, Yeah, this is... I, I could be that. watching TV right now. Yeah, that's me. That's me. <laughs> yeah. I don't want to read. And, I could be watching television. Right and, now. and a perfect example, uh, a young Patrick Young in high school was a part of the high school play. Not because I wanted to, but because I was pretty much told I had, had to. to. Yeah. And my uh, teacher was like, here's the script. These are your lines. Learn them. I don't know lines. I don't remember lines. So what did I do? I took the bullet points out of it, and I went on stage. We had two performances. The first performance, I did my own thing. Got my bullet points across, but I said it in my way. Oh, man, it pissed her off so bad. You better learn your lines. Do it right for the second performance. Second performance, I did the same fucking thing. And it made her so mad, I was never asked to be a part of it again. But I made my part better than what... Because it sounded more natural. It sounded more natural. Right, yeah. That's... That's essentially what I had to do in theater class. Like, I would remember parts of the line. I would remember bullet points from the line. And just, as long as it triggers the next person to say what they're sort of supposed to say, the audience won't know the difference. No. So, yeah, that's just my... I can't do... I'm just not diligent enough. I don't have the dedication to sit there and remember. I could if I really, really tried. But I I just just don't have the patience for it. You you know... Who, who has the diligence and the patience for a sport. Who's that? That would be Vince McMahon. 
Yes, he has been very patient with the XFL. In fact, that's why he hasn't done the XFL in 17 years. He's been so patient. I'm sure at his home, uh, he's been planning this thing for 17 years to get it relaunched, relaunched. and figure it out. And so, you when, know what he's doing? I know what he's doing. He's making a huge fucking mistake. Is what he's doing. <laughs> But what's he really doing, Patrick? He's really cashing in some of his WWE stock and taking $500 million to put into investing into the XF. 500, 500 grand, I can see. A million, I can see. A couple million, I can see. $500 million. No, say it like this, half a billion. How about that? Yeah, that sounds half a billion dollars. That's incredible, dude. That's nuts. I mean, that's insane. It's a good time for him to cash it out, Patrick, because the stock is at an all-time high. Oh, now yeah. it's a good time to cash out. It's all just lined up perfectly for him. Yeah. Uh, after their TV deals were officially announced, SmackDown is moving to Fox in 2019 on Friday nights for two hours. So that'll be the lead into local news—a very strange thing that'll be happening. Um, <laughs> but. Yeah, he's going to spend half a billion dollars, so says Oliver Luck, who is the commissioner of the XFL. And he's still got a whole nother year, because he's going to launch in 2020, so we'll see what they do next year. But his competition... Um, Finley Stadium, that's all i got to say. His competition, uh, the American Alliance for Football, I think is what it's called, which is Dick Ebersol's son, the guy that actually made that 30 for 30 documentary, is going head-to-head against Vince McMahon. So all that shit in the documentary, that was weird. Because, it, like, everyone involved with that documentary, at the end of the documentary, they talk about restarting the XFL at the, that round table. It's Dick Ebersol and Vince. Right. And they both sit there, and they're just like, oh, I don't know. Start it again? I don't know. Maybe. We'll see. We'd have to use our own money was the last closing line. You know what? Vince Both did, of them. Vince went fucking home and thought about that. Ebersol went home and thought about that. And they both decided to do it. Only not together this time, and I almost see in a year after both of these things start, they merge or something. Like I just, this is too coincidental that everyone involved with that documentary is starting their own football league, and Ebersol's doing it's it's his sons or it's his. It's his sons, but I mean, it's Dick Ebersol, so. Right. I mean, it's it's actually going to be on CBS Sports, which is, you know, Dick Ebersol's NBC Sports, so it's a direct competitor. But they've already got their TV deal lined up, but this is a good time to get in the live sports game because the sports rights fees, I mean, the fact that USA and Fox paid a billion dollars for pro wrestling because it's a live sports thing, it's, it suffers from tape delay. So it's something people actually have to turn on their television and watch or turn on their stream and watch to whatever channel it is. So sports fees are going through the roof. The US, the UFC recently just got a lot of money doing it. And it's cheap. It really is actually cheap content because, you know, there's no production cost with it. You don't have actors' unions. You don't have to pay actors every year, re-up their contracts and everything. Sports is relatively cheap to produce. And it can fill a lot of time on your network. So this is a valuable thing for broadcasters right now. So it's a good idea but I just don't fucking know about all this. Like, especially a half billion dollars, especially if he cashes out the stock, isn't a lot for Vince McMahon. So for Vince, no. For well, for anybody else, a half <laughs> a billion dollars, I could live on that the rest of my life. Well, oh, well, definitely, you could live. 
very, very well. Not just live. I mean, I could, I could probably take half a million and maybe make it pretty far. Yeah. I'm not gonna make it the whole way, probably. But, but look, you know, it's the same reason people bet fifty dollars on a sports game. It, it's a bet. You know, it's yeah. just how does a billionaire get his kicks, Patrick? It's from throwing, throwing his money around, throwing his money at the wall. Yeah, I got all this money. I'm not doing anything with it. Seventy something years old. Let's take it. Fuck it. Let's take half a billion dollars and throw it at the XFL. So, who's, yeah. t- who's taking over the XFL once uh, Vince is no longer with us? Which is going to be like another 30 fucking years. Yeah, he's going to live to like 110, 120. But, or he's going to be one of those guys that like gets his head frozen and <laughs> so, yeah. there's another, there's a clone made. <laughs> it's, they attach his body onto it like somehow and he's... <laughs> Let's just get to the first season, no, and then we saying. can... Hey, hey, honest, I'm honest. I'm really talking this up now right now. Well, I think Shane would be more interested exactly in it. exactly where I was going Because through. Triple H and Stephanie, I would imagine, have no interest. They've taken... They're, I mean, they are going I to really take over the wrestling is, business. I really think that's his driving point. Is Vince is looking at the fact... My, my opinion. Vince is looking at the fact, like, listen. I've left this wrestling business. To my daughter. To my daughter. But what have I left my son? The same wrestling business? That's kind of hard to do. Don't get me wrong. There's plenty of room. But Shane, I don't... Well, Shane loves wrestling. Shane loves wrestling. Well, he had don't a lot of great wrong. ideas about wrestling when don't, to don't, bring ECW back. And don't stuff. get me wrong. Shane loves wrestling. But at the same point in time, Shane would like to have something of his own. Yeah, but how is it his own if it's just left for him? Because, I mean, that's how Vince got his job was his daddy left him something. So, but he turned it into his own. I he took he took something his dad left him, and made it his own by taking over worldwide. Everything Vince does is motivated by ego, and this okay. is really it's true. This is really more about his search for mainstream acceptance because there's a Vince has always felt like an outsider, and he's always wanted to be an insider. Yeah. Yeah. And, and people think wrestling is a joke, and that's why the WWE is constantly reminding you of its dick size uh, on television when they're like, oh, we have 40 million Twitter followers. Did you know that we have celebrities tweeting about WrestleMania? Yeah. He's a very insecure man. But, and But I think what also, number one, first and foremost driving point was the XFL failed the first time. Exactly. That pisses him off. Deep down, he's like, that's the one fucking thing that I truly tried, and I failed. Did he fail at other things? Well, yeah. yeah. The WBF, Ico Pro. Yeah, but that's the real one that actually had a full, That burns his ass, yeah. That had a full-blown chance that is a crawl up his ass that pisses him off, and son of a bitch is going to do it and make it work, and it's going to work, or he's going to die trying. And I really, truly believe that. To, I swear, I... I Deep down, I'd throw money on that. We're talking about betting. I'd bet money on it. But that is... I wouldn't bet money on him failing. He fails... No, I'm not saying on him failing. I'm saying on on that is the reason behind why he's doing it. Oh, yes. That is the main motivator is it's, yeah, Vince. Vince's redemption in his own mind. No one else... No one else on this earth gives a fuck about the XFL failing. Like, it doesn't matter to anybody else. Like, that this... But this is something that, that burns his ass, you know? Uh, like the Bob Costas interview and all that shit about the XFL and how it was like 
they did lists of like the worst sports things ever and like it was like number one on some of them for whatever reason i don't know why none of his other failures bother him but this is the one that really chaps his fucking it's the ass. most important bother I, I really do believe it's the it's, it was the one on the biggest stage yeah I, because that's it uh, it's that's it's the one that is so well known that when you think of Vince McMahon, you think of wrestling and oh the xfl I mean that you don't really think of Ico Pro or the World Bodybuild, which I would love to get my hands on some Ico Pro. <laughs> I don't know if you would, uh, but yeah, it was on the biggest stage because it yeah. was on NBC and it was on. I mean, the first game did tremendous numbers, so a lot of people saw. I this, thought it was a great so idea. It was a great idea, but execution is is the key. It's just like a scripted promo can be a great idea if it's done right, you know. So <laughs> That's true. Just like the XFL. That's true. Uh, what else you got? Charlotte, we said it last week, uh, but it got cut. Charlotte Flair is the first female wrestler to be invited and be a part of ESPN's Body Issue magazine. And she has gotten a ton of press out of this last couple weeks because ESPN, this is another company that's very insecure about its failings, but... ESPN has had a terrible couple of years. They've let a lot of talent go. Their numbers are down. Rights fees are through the roof. They have a lot of cord cutters. People are giving up cable, and they're going to services like Sling TV, and they're paying less for ESPN, And or people are just stealing someone's watch ESPN password, and people are just getting around the ESPN monopoly that was on sports for so many years. For some reason, Patrick, now I, this is crazy to me, they still have a magazine. I don't know who's still printing magazines, why you're still printing magazines. Even, you know, Hugh Hefner died as having a great magazine, but his magazine is in the shits. And a couple years ago, they stopped doing nudity in Playboy, and it went down the shitter. It's still... But there's still magazines. I don't know who the fuck is reading magazines anymore, but anyway, ESPN has this magazine. There are two magazine issues in the sports world, and it's the swimsuit issue for Sports Illustrated, which has been around a lot longer than ESPN, the network, has been around. And there's ESPN The Body magazine. For whatever reason, all those other magazines they print all year, throw them in the garbage, you want to see... Half-naked sports athletes is what you want to see, right? Even though you can see naked people all over the internet, this is the time that it matters. And so they put all these athletes in the body issue, and it's not about sensuality or sexuality. It's mainly about showing, yeah, an athlete's body and just, oh, look at the muscles and the definitions, and look how a surfer's body is different from a golfer's body. It's so weird. It's so crazy, right? Anyway, Charlotte, they had been featuring... UFC and MMA athletes the last few years, like Conor McGregor was in there, I think, one year, and John Jones, and uh, this year they decided, fuck all the MMA people, let's put a wrestler in there, and they put Charlotte in there, and it, this, I just can't believe all the press coverage I've seen from them, I mean, yeah. it's, it's generated by ESPN, but it's like, articles about how she's more than an athlete, how she wants to be the next rock, and all this other stuff, and it's a picture of her butt. In the magazine, it's her. So there's just like a picture of her doing a moonsault from the top rope, and she's completely nude. And uh, which I did not know that a body magazine was something that they did. I never, I have never heard of this until you and I discussed. Because I was like, Charlotte's doing some ESPN body thing. And you were like, Oh, it's their body magazine, and you were telling me about. it. I don't know anything about it, but apparently, like I've heard, there's pictures of her doing moonsaults off the top rope. Yeah, they're probably beautiful pictures. And and Um, and there's, like I said, it's it's not about 
nudity because there's no. It pri- doesn't show any yeah, private it, areas. Right. Yeah, right. Okay. Yeah, it'll show a butt crack. Is about as. It's it, no, well, I'm saying it's not like a Playboy type. Mentality. Yeah, it's there's, it's nothing like that. So right. Okay. It's mainly just like I said. It's about like muscle definition, and it's about like. Just seeing different athletes' bodies. I don't know why people needed to see the different bodies. Usually, the thing that gets the most coverage out of these body magazines is actually the fat athletes. That's actually what gets the most coverage, because they'll find a fat baseball player, or they'll find a fat bowler. And it's usually the fat people that get all the press, I There's guess. professional bowling still? Mm-hmm, yeah, ESPN still. The PBA, yeah, is still on, on ESPN. Wow, I didn't uh, know this. Usually more during football season, it's like... Their football pregame show ends, and it's pro bowling. What about like uh, professional pool playing? Oh yeah, poker is, is still on well, there. I knew poker was still on, but yeah, they show some of that stuff still. I mean, they've got a they've got so many channels, but usually it's the fat people that get all the uh, coverage this year. This year, I don't think they put a particularly fat person in there, and because usually it's oh, you're so brave, you're fat, and you're naked. You are brave. I'm sorry, that's just the the narrative that is every year. It's like, oh, I can't believe whoever it is. I can't believe you did that. You know, that's so brave of you. You're fat. You can't be naked. Well, you're naked every day. I don't know. Anyway, uh, but this year, for some reason, she has been really the star of the magazine. And uh, good for her. Like I said, this is a very... Uh, slow time in her actual wrestling career because they put her on the back burner. Ronda is the focus, and but that'll be the Mania match is the two of them. And so closer to Mania season, she's going to be in a very prominent role in the company. But right now, she's sort of in the background, and so this really helps. She's just riding riding the gravy train till it gets there. And I'm not sure if ESPN said to the company pick someone for us because it would make sense for them to pick her while she's not doing a lot on. On TV to keep her name in, in especially to the mainstream press. And well, and then to roll it on over into well, she's had such a year already. She's been in ESPN body body issue, and now she's rolling into Royal Rumble. That can be part of the feud, Ronda. Yeah, I'm the mainstream star here, you know. Well, Ronda was in it last year, right? Or Ron- she's been in it before. Okay. Yeah. So you know, you can ride that wave too. We're the only first two women. In, in a WWE ring to have been in. like They can roll off that shit with any way. ESPN's in love with the Flares. I mean, from the 30 to 30 last year and this year with... Uh, well, earlier this year with the 30 to 30 and uh, now with Charlotte in the, in the body magazine. So, congratulations. A few weeks ago, you mentioned the 2K19, the DLC, and you were right. It's Rey Mysterio. They showed the commercial during Raw that was in San Diego. In the 619, they showed the commercial. Uh, so he was unveiled as other wrestlers had the Ray mask on. It's it's a really good commercial. And I haven't seen the commercial. It's out there. We can pull it up later. But he, uh, yeah, he's the D- he's the first announced uh, DLC. Uh, the other one is speculated to be Ronda Rousey, which she should just be in the game, but whatever. I think, yeah, that definitely leads to the speculation that Ray will be back in the company very shortly. And AJ is on the cover. Well, AJ, yeah, that was announced that he was on the cover. Uh, so there's your 2K19 news. Uh, reserve your copy now, coming out in October. will probably be the exact same game we had last year with two or three minor changes, and that's about it. I'm sorry, I've just... Changed the fucking music! <laughs> well, they changed the music, it's just never good. Yeah. Pick something people actually want to listen to. Jeez. And not fi- your not your hard 
hard rock, screaming, yelling bullshit. Well, I take the music off there and use the entrance themes. Uh, I didn't know you a, could do that till you showed me on this past year's game. So now that's what I've done. Yeah. But still, it's a pain in the ass. It's like... Well, yeah. You have to go through every single one. You know the only one on the game that I enjoyed this past year? Blues Brothers. It's just a weird choice every year, too. It goes in whatever different direction. Like, that's okay, the- we're doing Blues Brothers this year. Last year, we had Kanye West. Yeah. Like, it's... It just goes yeah. so different direction every year. Yeah. Finally... A very strange story uh, happened this Monday. SmackDown does uh, house shows on Monday while they do Raw on TV. And so it was a SmackDown house show out in California. Just a house show. Normal house show. Shinsuke Nakamura's backstage locker room. For some reason, they were so paranoid that this would be the site of a terrorist attack. They brought bomb-sniffing dogs, or like police dogs, through the backstage area. They get up to Shinsuke Nakamura. And this police dog, this highly trained police dog, bites Shinsuke Nakamura in the leg. He's sent to the hospital, and he's out of action for the week. He didn't. He wasn't on the SmackDown uh, live show. Do you have a bomb up his ass? Very strange. It was uh, just a bizarre story. He'll probably be back to work uh, this coming week. But just so, why? Why did they think there was going to be a terrorist attack? I don't know why you need a police dog at a WWE house show. But they did, and for some reason they brought it around the talent. I really think it's a way for the dog's handler to get to meet his favorite wrestlers, probably. I don't know. That's just total speculation. But unfortunately, this dog, I don't know what it is about Nakamura that tripped this dog up. But, I mean, this is a highly trained dog. A police dog should not just bite people. Where did he bite him? I'm just curious. On the leg, somewhere. So, he was off of television. And they didn't explain it on the shows, but that's what happened. And, uh... He'll be back to work next week, but get well soon. Isn't that a kick in the nuts? But up bumps. Yeah, he's in a big feud right now for the U.S. belt with uh, Jeff Hardy, and so uh, they weren't able to really build that anymore. He's given up on the world title. He's moved down to the U.S. title, so there you go. For our review this week, it was your pick, but you decided to pay homage to Big Van Vader, so you chose the Great American Bash from 1992, the Albany Civic Center in Albany, Georgia, which holds 10,240 people. WCW was able to pack it with 8,000 alleged. It looked pretty full. I'll give them that. Sometimes, sometimes Patrick, it's better to run an event in a small arena and make it look full than run an event in a big arena and make it look empty. It's the battle beyond the belt. I don't know what that means, which belt they're referring to, but that's the tagline for this WCW slash NWA event being held in Albany, Georgia, just down the road from Atlanta, GA, the headquarters of WCW. It's July 12th. We're almost doing this, you know, on the anniversary of it. It's July 12th, 1992, the Great American Bash, which is, of course, the celebration of uh, American independence. It's what we fought the British for, is so that we could have a pro wrestling event in July, around the 4th of July, to uh, commemorate... Uh, the great American heroes that fought for the right to see Vader and Sting battle it out for the world title. Absolutely. This is the most important part. I love red, white, and blue Sting, by the way, just if I haven't acknowledged that. The WCW and the NWA officially separated in 1991, and but they still had a working relationship, and so the NWA still wanted 
NWA World Tag Team Champions, even though WCW was going to have separate tag team championships. So to push the idea, they had a tournament from teams around the world, teams such as Silver King and El Texano from Mexico, Hiroshi Hase and Nogami from Japan, Miguel Perez and Ricky Santana from Puerto Rico, and Joe and Dean Malenko representing Europe, in quotation marks, so that's kind of odd. The NWA wanted a giant tournament for their tag team belts, and I guess WCW said, sure, we'll give you one pay-per-view, uh, Great American Bash, you can have all of the matches except one, and there you go. That is what we have going into... I love the NWA. <laughs> this... A truly NWA idea. This is. This is a true... I love the NWA. I'm a NWA, Southern Wrestling, born and bred, in my blood. That's why I'm in this sport. That's it. And for me, I, I like this pay-per-view. You, on the other hand, don't too much. But there are a few matches, I will admit, are way too damn long. So... I think I have a problem with the style of wrestling that is presented in a lot of these matches. That's NWA for you, though. And oh, I know. Also, that's also guys thinking ahead. Well, I know. They're trying to rest. <laughs> yeah, I know. And they got a lot of rest. <laughs> rest was not an issue for some of these wrestlers. Um, now, the natural, not Dustin Rhodes, but the natural idea for who would be the tag team champions would naturally why with the Steiner brothers? You would think, oh, the Steiners are going to be in this tournament. They're going to win everything. Uh, who, nope. the, who the fuck else? Nope. In fact, they lost their WCW titles in between the Clash. To two of the greatest men to step foot. Well, okay. One of which <laughs> is the greatest man to step foot in the Southern Ring. Terry Bam Bam Gordon. Oh, he's very well protected on this show. Maybe it's because he's from Chattanooga. I don't know why. Uh, he's so well protected, but it's probably because he's from Chattanooga, Tennessee. Uh, so the Steiners would have been penciled in here to win this whole fucking thing. But I'm sure the story here is that they were getting ready to leave WCW. They actually had the idea to turn Scott Steiner into a monster heel in 1992, Patrick. Uh, because they had him defeat Ricky Steamboat for the TV belt in October of 92. So later on that year. So that's the idea they were they had going here. Is that they were going to break up the Steiner brothers. Of course, when you have a very good tag team, Patrick. Gotta break those two guys up. Apparently that's a wrestling thing. Yeah. When no, you got a good thing that's going. That's a fucking Bill Watts thing. Bill Watts did that shit with so many people it's not even funny. But go on. So the idea was to break them up. Uh, but they were heading out the door, Patrick. Yeah, they would end up in WWF in December of 92. So they had one foot out the door. So I guess the booking committee, Bill Watts, uh, did not want to put the belts on them. He had the Which singles. Which is smart because, in my opinion, if you can't 100% trust that someone's going to stay with your company, don't. Well, you, and you had just gotten burned by Ric Flair. Exactly. Don't remotely even go to the well twice. Shame on you for if you fooled me once. Shame on me if, you fool, if, okay. I, if I get fooled twice. So <laughs> You won't fool me again. Sorry. George W. Bush. Is that who said that? He said, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me again, well, I won't get fooled again. <laughs> he messed up the, the saying. 
Seven teams are here tonight for the tag team titles. What? Hold on. We're having a tournament. That's not even. Oh, that's because Terry Gordy and Steve Williams get a bye, Patrick. They get to advance on because... They eliminated the Steiners. At GAB. That was their, basically, quarterfinal match. They gave you one quarterfinal match for free on TBS. That was your hook to get you to watch the pay-per-view. So they are already in the semis. And one... The WCW tag titles in the same match. That's right. So uh, they've already got gold. I really don't... If I had that, I'd be like, I don't really need the other one. In addition to the seven teams, we have Sting and Big Van Vader for the WCW world title, which is not Big Goldie. We would see Big Goldie in another capacity tonight. Tony and Magnum TA welcome us to the show. Hell yeah! So awesome to see Magnum. They mention how Terry Gordy and Dr. Death scored a major upset on Clash of the Champion over the Steiners. And they talk about how Kira Nogami was supposed to be in the tournament, but he was replaced by Hashimoto. Had an eye injury. Oh yeah, they showed him going to the Japanese eye doctor. So Kira Nogami was supposed to be in the tournament, but he'll be replaced by Hashimoto. They show us the tournament bracket, which I'm like, oh, we're going to be here a while. This is uh, <laughs> We have a long way to go in this tournament. This was, like a, this was like a full King of the Ring all rolled into one night. Not semifinals and finals, no. This was We're going <laughs> to see the whole thing. <laughs> the whole tournament. These guys are going to be wrestling three times tonight. Now, Tony and Magnum are not our announcers. They toss to Jim Ross and Jesse the Body Ventura. Jesse's suit here, Patrick, is just amazing. It's a light blue suit that has been doused with red and yellow paint. It's as if... Hulkamania was turned into paint and then doused on the body here. With glitter and sequins. He was a mess. Uh, I usually give him mad What's props the- for trying stuff, but he failed. I loved his... I love his... I always thought his hairstyles were kind of cool. But the little one little tiny patch... Rat tail the, with no hair. With no... Yeah, it's, it was a rat tail with no tail. Like, what the fuck was that? It hair? was just a patch yeah. of hair. A, ver- a line. Yeah. Jesse is... He's a complex man. He's a very unique individual. (laughs) So, Bill Watts is with Eric Bischoff backstage. Bill talks about how to knock the tag teams. They can jump off the top rope. But in the singles matches, they cannot go off the top rope. And WCW rolls. He was stumbling all over himself. This was a man that did not need a scripted promo. This, uh, And I don't think this was, but he sucks. Bill, Bill Watts, Watts. Bill Watts is. I've heard a lot of stories back from the territory days of working for the man. He should never have been put in charge of WCW. Let's put it that way. And I'm so glad when he finally got the exit, and they did hire Eric Bischoff. Let's. Well, it's it. weird that they're here backstage together. It's yeah. like uh, the the past and the future meet. What he really just wants to say is, "Let's go, hook him up." That was his big uh, catchphrase to hook us into this pay per view that we've already bought. Flying Brian and Jushin Liger are out first. They're going to take on Nikita Koloff and Ricky Steamboat. So get ready to hear about the size disadvantage these two little men have against the two big men. Because that will be what Jesse wants to tell us about the whole match. Pillman starts out with Koloff. Koloff takes Pillman off his feet with a shoulder block. Pillman puts Koloff in a front face lock, but Koloff just lifts him off. Puts him on the top turnbuckle like a little baby. Pillman leaps over Koloff, hits a drop kick, but then... Eats an inverted atomic drop from Koloff. Pillman makes quick tags with Liger, and they drop axe handles on Koloff. They kick at Koloff's arm and focus on it. Would that come into play? No, it wouldn't. Koloff would not be selling anything for these two. 
Liger ends up as legal man with Koloff and takes him off his feet with a drop kick, shoulder block him, and then he tags Pillman in. Steamboat tags in and drop kicks Pillman, snapmares Liger, slams the light heavyweights' heads together as they look like fools. Steamboat then flings Liger to the outside. He accidentally baseball slides Pillman as I think he forgets who he's in this match against. And he drop kicks Pillman in the head, his own partner. Steamboat hits an inverted atomic drop, a drop kick, and a signature deep arm drag to Jushin Liger. Liger and Pillman, though, hit stereo drop kicks to Steamboat. Koloff tags in, scoop slams Liger, hits a reverse elbow, and then Brian Pillman tags in. Steamboat takes back over from Koloff. Pillman hits a drop kick followed by an elbow drop and another drop kick for a two count. Liger tags in, hits a backbreaker and a moonsault to Steamboat, but only gets a two for this huge move that woke the crowd up. Liger then follows up that moonsault with a tombstone to Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. Yes, you heard him right, a tombstone. But only gets a two count, Patrick, this mega move. So what does this man do? Well, of course, he tries a rolling thunder. Yep. RVD was a little kid eating his cereal watching this match and said, that's a pretty good move. I think I'll be taking so it. So a moonsault, a tombstone, and a rolling thunder, and a pinfall one, two, nup, kick out. Steamboat hits a back suplex to Liger, tags Koloff in. Koloff tags Liger with a clothesline and multiple elbow drops. After a long headlock to Jushin Liger, he tags Steamboat back. Steamboat hits three backbreakers to Jushin Liger, then a power slam, only gets two because Pillman breaks the count. Koloff comes back in, locks Liger in a headlock. Jesse thinks Liger's mask makes him look like the Predator, which I disagree with. The Predator looks nothing. You you know why I said that? Uh, he was in the Predator movie. He just wanted to... Plug his movie. Plug his movie. From, from 1985. <laughs> and this is 1992. Hey, rentals are still hot. <laughs> Blockbuster is working alive. <laughs> Liger nearly makes the hot tag to Pillman, but Koloff stops him. Steamboat tags in, smashes Liger with a forearm off the second rope for a two-count. Liger drop kicks Steamboat and finally tags out. Pillman runs wild on the dragon, knocks Koloff off the apron, puts Steamboat in a chin lock, tags Liger back in, so his running wild lasted all of a few seconds. Liger hits a seated missile drop kick to the dragon. Koloff tags back in, though, and takes Liger down with shoulder blocks and a scoop slam. Brian drop kicks him in the back, tags in, hits a couple of drop kicks to Koloff's face, which looked amazing. Tries a crossbody, but Koloff catches him. Liger drop kicks Pillman over on top of Koloff. It only gets a two count. Pillman hits a springboard shoulder tackle to Koloff. Pillman goes upstairs, hits a devastating missile drop kick to Koloff. I mean, really took this guy off his feet. Yeah. Only gets a two count. Steamboat was knocked off the apron by Pillman. Pillman gets on the second turnbuckle rope and tries to leap on Koloff's back and lock him in a sleeper. Uh, Koloff, very slippery at this point in the match, (laughs) and it ended up Pillman just drove his knees crashing into the back of Koloff, so even though it was botched, it still looked okay. Koloff hits a jawbreaker to escape the sleeper, as Pillman just locked it on anyway. Steamer and Liger get hot tags. Liger hits a big insiguri to Steamboat. Tries a backslide for two. Pillman tries and hits a shoulder breaker for two. The dragon tries to bridge out of a Pillman cover, but he kind of fumbles through it. Pillman climbs to the top turnbuckle, gets crotched. Koloff and Liger tussle while Brian hits his top rope. Flying crossbody. This is it. Oh my god, upset of the century. Just kidding. Steamboat just rolls over. Covers Pillman. One, two, three. Clean. No use of the ropes. Of course, it's Ricky Steamboat. And the big men beat the little men. A decision that would come back to haunt this pay-per-view as the night wore on. Uh, But 
Not a big shock that the bigger stars went over. I mean, no. this is a big man's world. I mean, they won't even book many wrestlers, so of course the cruiserweights, they're the same thing, right? I thought what Liger was doing here was just amazing. I mean, hitting a moonsault in a tombstone from the same guy? No one else is doing that. And I know he hit it to Ricky the Dragon Steamboat, who's a smaller guy, but still, it was very impressive. Well, from a small guy hitting, I mean, that was, his head bounced. There was no covering that, like, there was no protection there. It's like, you're taking the tombstone, hope you line it up perfect so you just compress your neck, not break it. Here in 1992, they're booked to lose the first match out of the gate. Well, they were in the historic opening match on Nitro at the Mall of America, so. Going against each other. Going against each other, which... The first match ever on WCW Nitro. They were phenomenal. They were way ahead of their time. Oh, yeah. Especially, I mean, Pillman in the American scene was way ahead of his time, for sure. I've ranted and raved numerous times about how great Pillman was, but I know you got to get tired of hearing it, but it really was outstanding. I'd have had, I really, we had this discussion, I'd have had Liger and Pillman all the way to the finals. Yeah, because you still get the result you want out of who wins the belts. Like, and and there's there's some there's some rumble there's, you know, these two little guys, man, they passed up this huge tag team of Nikita Koloff, like they just plowed right through him, and you know Ricky Dragon Steamboat, and then they they go on and they, holy cow, they took on, you know, Dustin Rhodes and Barry Windham, you know, two guys that are. You know, a rookie kid that's, you know, six foot six and a former NWA world heavyweight champion in Barry Windham, you know, just huge, two massive men and bam, they plowed right through them again. Oh my God, they're in the finals, but they're taking on their biggest challenge of all. Terry Bayman Gordy and Dr. Death Steve Lee. And they come up short in the end. They come up short in the end. But no big deal. Yeah. Only two people at the end of the night, Vader, well. The winner of the World Heavyweight Championship match and the winner of the tag team titles, those are the only two people that didn't job that night. Yeah. So, why not? You know? Because everyone's going to have to lose the match. Right. Except, basically, three people. Right. So, Bischoff is backstage with the Steiners, who showed up to work tonight despite not having any work to do. They are the IWGP Tag Team Champions for New Japan, but they're not the NWA Champs or the WCW Champs. And, oh, I was blessed because Scott Steiner <laughs> gave us a great promo about other losers like him. And you will include it here. Yes. And I will include it here as he mentions other sports icons. Muhammad Ali, he lost. Uh, such and such, he lost. We lost, too. We're losers. That's what I got from the promo. Thanks, JR. And I am with the former WCW World Tag Team Champions and the current IWGP Tag Team Champions, the Steiner Brothers. And Scott, as competitive as you two have been all of your lives, I know it's going to be incredibly difficult for you to be here, not as participants, but as spectators. That's right, difficult, Eric. If I could say one thing, there's been a lot of great athletes throughout the history of sports. One that comes to mind, Muhammad Ali, probably one of the greatest boxing champions of all times. But you see, he was never undefeated. Then he got seven times highly raced, probably one of the toughest competitors ever step in the ring. But he was never undefeated. You see, the thing that separated those guys between being good and being great, they looked at adversity, they looked at defeat, dead in the eye, and they came back better, scared, scared. <laughs> I've never been scared in my life of nothing. Gordy Williams, this ain't over, and I've never set out a tournament in my life. 
high school or college. Gordy Williams, it ain't over. All I can say is, kids, you better get parental consent to watch it, because it ain't gonna be pretty. All right, a team I'm sure we're gonna hear from a lot more in the future, the Steiner Brothers. Now, let's get right back up to the ring. Rick's big addition to this whole thing. By the way, Bischoff cuts off Scott early. He, like, pulls the mic away from him. Because so he sounded like a dumbass, and Eric knows it. Well, but he, like, doesn't get his last word in. Like, he had, like, one word to go in this promo, and, like, Bischoff just pulled it away and gave it to Rick. Rick's big addition is, it's not over, and it's not going to be pretty. Okay. Hase and Hashimoto are out to the generic Japanese wrestler music that WCW loved using uh, throughout their career. Yeah, everybody. Oh, you're f- oh, you're from Japan? Here's some music. It was always the same cut of music. The fabulous Freebirds are their opponents. And they didn't give a shit. And they didn't try to sing their terrible theme song. I did note here, they did have two separate ramps for the babies and the heels tonight, by the way. I did notice that, so... Yeah. No raised entryway, though. WCW is doing but something that's weird. NWA her- heritage for you, you know? Now, you're right. The Freebirds uh, knew what they were going to do tonight, and they didn't give a fuck about being here. They didn't want to be here, despite being basically the hometown favorites... Oh, yeah. They're, Bad Street Atlanta GA is like just a few blocks away, and they're just like, no, fuck From this. Albany, as <laughs> yes. Albany, Georgia, but yet Jesse calls it Albany. Alban, like yeah. Albany, New York. He doesn't, something. yeah. He, he just, mispronounced a few other uh, yeah. words tonight that were uh, southern, southern words. Albany, Georgia. Albany, Georgia. This terrible theme song, at least, did not get highlighted. They didn't come out through the crowd with their little mics on their ears. That was singing and dancing. And but even, I mean, the free. I just expect them to dance though, and they were not feeling it tonight. They were not in the mood to dance. (laughs) They were either really stoned on something, or they just really didn't give a shit. I've never seen Michael Hayes so not animated like he's usually very a true. very highly animated guy i mean he did the moonwalk for a second but usually you get him multiple times you get him juking and jiving and all this stuff tonight he was just very subdued and uh, i think it's because they saw how they were going to be booked the, uh, uh heads up they're being booked losing <laughs> yeah to new japan talents that you know aren't even wcw roster mates <laughs> They're going to take on Hase and Hashimoto. Hase was a college professor before getting into wrestling, JR notes. And uh, now he works for the Prime Minister of Japan. So he's in the cabinet over there in Japan. So Hase went on to bigger and better things. He got rid of that mustache and his world changed. The two teams have no chemistry to start this match. And they don't even bother engaging. They just stare at each other. Hashimoto, though, he is a massive man. He is a massive man. Yes, he is is a very large man. He has a side headlock takeover for two on Garvin. Hase tags in, drops an elbow on Garvin's arm. They slap on a wrist lock, but Garvin gets out of it quickly. Hashimoto hits a few kicks to Garvin, and the USA chant breaks out. But even this crowd is, like, not that pro-American. They just don't even care, too. They're just like, USA, USA, okay. We did it. Hashimoto slams Garvin, who tags Michael Hayes in. Hase then slams Hayes, hits a rolling senton for a two-count. Hashimoto hits a roundhouse kick to the midsection of Hayes and a spinning heel kick. This large man can do a big spinning heel kick, a running spinning heel kick. It looked awesome. Hashimoto hits a Samoan drop with a bridge, which I don't know that I've ever seen this done this way, uh, where someone bridges into a pin from a Samoan drop. And he I haven't the- either. It was very unique. 
Yeah, he does this here, so my one highlight from the match, really. Uh, the Japanese team double-team Michael Hayes for a second, but Hayes stops it with a knee. Hayes hits a pair of lefts to Hase and Hashimoto, very stiff lefts. Jimmy gets the hot tag, slams and clotheslines the Japanese. The fans call for the DDT. They won't be getting it. Garvin eats a super kick from Hashimoto, and Hase hits a Northern Lights with a bridge to Garvin. One, two, three, down go the Freebirds. And this match and the hometown favorites are fucking done in their first outing. They just did not care. This yeah. was not an outing to be remembered from Michael Hayes and Jimmy Garvin. No, it was uh, it was it was kind of depressing. Can you explain why they didn't pair Terry Gordy up with his Freebirds mate here? Because he's coming off of his Japan, his thing? Japan run, and him and Doctor Death Steve Williams had had already had history in Japan, and I just think it's silly to not. Oh, pair I them agree. Up again. I agree. Uh, but you got to look at it like what we see later on. We realize this whole tournament, this whole thing, is based around building for a Japan show. Right. Oh. Okay. So if we're building for a Japan show, then you got to keep the two big Japan guys together. Together. Because over there, they're a team. They 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 have no history as the Freebirds in Japan. So. Right. Tony is now with Bill Watts and Hiro Masuda from New Japan Pro Wrestling. Hiro Masuda. There will be a singles tournament at Sumo Hall in Tokyo, and. Bill Watts just hands over Big Goldie. Oh, hi. Good to see you again, Big Gold Belt. Where have you been for the last few years? Oh, that's right. Ric Flair took you. That's right. And we're, you and I are not confident that this is the original Ric Flair belt. I don't no, think it is, actually. Not. He says he got it back from Flair. In, in well, he took his nameplate off. He, he made did. it a very big point. He made it a big point about that. But it's not Flair. Flair kept that title. When when Flair he never got his forty thousand bucks back, so, so he never sent it in. <laughs> if I'm not getting my money, you ain't getting the belt. And so, so they've reprinted it. They re they remade it. Why why did they not go back to the old NWA title? That I don't know because that's I would love kind to of have, weird. The ten pounds of gold. I would love to have that one. Big Goldie taking Big Goldie back is really just to get at Ric Flair. It's not about and I mean making a point to say, oh, this is his name right here. We took that off the belt. It's really just about Ric Flair. It's not about the belt at all. It's just about being bitter. This whole thing was just nothing but a jab at Rick. Right. To remind you that yeah. he's a quitter and fuck him. Yeah. Uh, Mike Austin. He took his ball and went home. Right. <laughs> the winner of the Japan tournament will meet the WCW champion. Uh-oh, Patrick. A title unification match is down the road. We love those. Yeah, buddy. We'll see how that turns out. Medusa brings out the ravishing one, Rick Rude, accompanied by stunning Steve Austin. Rick is the U.S. champ and Austin is the TV champ, so it's the Dangerous Alliance here, but no Polly Dangerously. He didn't want to work this show, I guess. Cut the music. I need all of you. Tonight, it was the simple-minded sweat hogs that needed to keep the noise down, while Rick Rude showed us what a real sexy man was supposed to look like. So, simple-minded sweat hogs tonight was... Simple-minded. Yes. Uh, From Albany... From Albany, Georgia. Yeah. Rick Rude, fellow Minnesotan like uh, Jesse the Body Ventura, so had no respect for us southerners so there he's just coming here to take our jobs take all our fucking money 
He uh, wrestled up there in New York, a fucking y'all, Yankee. Y'all, y'all is some simple-minded people. <laughs> Their opponents are the natural Dustin Rhodes and Barry Windham, or as Jesse would call them, the Texicans. Stunning Steve will start out with Barry Windham. Windham takes... You know what? You know what's funny, though? Stunning Steve is a Texican as well. It's true. Yeah, uh, this is... <laughs> he probably really likes the other two guys he's wrestling. <laughs> he wants to be on their team. He should have turned on Rick Rude in the match. Yeah, this is just a couple months after that awesome War Games match with all these guys basically in it. So That took years off their lives. <laughs> <laughs> that was an amazing match. That, it really is. Probably one of my favorite matches we've watched on here. Stunning Steve will start out with Barry Windham. Wyndham takes Austin down with an arm drag. Austin takes over with an elbow to the back of Wyndham's head. Grabs the tights for a cheap win, but Wyndham kicks out. Tights will not hold this man down. Wyndham delivers a closed fist to Austin in his face with his illegally taped fist, which Jesse was right to call him out for. Randy Anderson, he does pick up on this, and he warns Wyndham. Don't let me catch you using that taped fist, buddy. Austin gets smacked in the face by Wyndham, then gets a bionic elbow from Dustin, and Austin rolls out of the ring and has to regroup. Rude tags in, and so does Dustin. Rude lights him up with forearms. Rude gets a big boot and a clothesline from Dustin, then a back suplex and an arm drag into an arm bar. Rude tries a tombstone, but Dustin reverses it into one of his own. Austin breaks the cover. Rhodes tries a splash to a downed Rude, but Rude gets the knees up. Austin tags in, throws some kicks to Dustin. Rhodes returns the favor. Wyndham tags in, hits a flying clothesline from the top turnbuckle, and takes out Austin. But Austin kicks out of the pinfall at two. Austin tags in Rude, delivers forearms to the kidneys of Wyndham. Austin looks for a superplex, but Wyndham headbutts him off the top turnbuckle. Medusa starts going crazy and distracting Randy Anderson. Meanwhile, Rude tags in, delivers a missile drop kick to Wyndham for a two count. Rude delivers a pile driver to Wyndham, but Dustin breaks the cover. Rude tags Austin in, hits a nice delayed vertical suplex to Wyndham, who is a very large man to be held up in the air for that long. Austin then slows things down with a chin lock, and the heels keep Wyndham from tagging in Rhodes. Rude tags in, works a chin lock, Wyndham suplexes out of it. Austin tags in again, and Wyndham still can't make the tag. Wyndham looks for another big punch to Austin, but eats a big boot. The heels make a blind tag, and they work endless chokes to Wyndham. The ref allows the blind tag to stand. Wyndham and Austin close on each other at the same time they both go down. Austin keeps Wyndham in their corner, though. Rude tags in, but an inverted atomic drop slows him down. Austin tags in. Wyndham finally gets the hot tag. Rhodes runs wild. Bionic elbow to Austin. Drop kick to Rude. He goes flying out of the ring. Rhodes hits the heels' heads together. Rhodes then hits a lariat from the top turnbuckle to Austin, who was trying to pile drive Wyndham, and this clothesline gets the win. The Texicans walk out with the win, and Wyndham was sucking wind as they got the win because this man was gassed. And he was in the ring. I mean, most of this match was waiting for him to tag in Dustin because he was just flopping around the ring for the majority of it. So I felt really bad for Barry Windham. Oh my gosh, this guy is going to have to work more tonight. Not a great outing from the rude one and Mr. Austin here. Pretty disappointing, really, when you have your U.S. champ and your TV champ. I think they should probably go over. It doesn't really matter, though, because like I said at the end of the night, there's only three people going to walk out with belts. And I, I I hit a brick wall with this match. Wow, yes. that takes a lot from you because you've sat through some really terrible stuff. And then when <laughs> I say that, you're like, oh man, I love this match. I hit a brick wall with this. This match was too fucking long. This match went 1915. This match, 
either I don't know if it's what they were doing or what it, if it was the lack of Dustin being in as much as he could have been. Like this match drug, and I am I feel so bad for saying this because these four are probably one of the most some of the most talented individuals to ever step in a wrestling ring. And this... Lots of Hall of Famers in this group here. This match drug on and on. There was no even teasing of someone hitting a finisher. No, or not like, a damn thing. This, this literally just... No one was really in any peril. You talked about Groundhog Day earlier. That, that it was never fucking ending, man. This thing just went on and on. And I finally... Was like God. Just somebody hit a roll up, a small package, a backslide, something, a quick three, a hold the tights, Wyndham cheat, knocking the fuck out, something. Damn, dude. It. And you? Do you not agree that this was a very long match? Oh yeah, but I mean, the heels get the heat on Wyndham for all of this match time, and. They're not really doing anything to him. It's like they'd slap on a rest hold or hit him with a clothesline and then just tag each other in and out and keep him away. And But they weren't going for finishers. They weren't going to work on an on a body part. There was no psychology to what they were doing. It was just keep him in the corner. That was the psychology. Keep him away from Dustin. Okay, that works for a little while. But by the end of it, and when you make that hot tag, that guy should come in and just, Dustin should have come in and just annihilated those guys. Hit a finisher. One, two, three. That's it. Yeah. But it didn't even happen like that. It's like he comes in and just gets a fluky win. Yeah. Like, so even all that time, if the payoff was really amazing. It was rough, man. And, and I feel so bad for someone. Well, and I that. just expect more, especially from Austin and Rude. Uh, oh, yeah. Well, Dustin and Wyndham, too. And w- when I hit this match and I started looking, because I did look ahead. Like, I didn't skip ahead, but I looked ahead and saw that I was like, we have one, <laughs> two, three more tag team matches. I was like, if it's going to be like these, dude, I'm sorry. <laughs> but it, they're, they get better. They get better. Well, I think we have peaks and valleys still to come. <laughs> Bischoff is with Harley Race and Vader. Harley says, Vader is ready. And then Vader says, he will take away Sting's most prized possession. Which I guess is the WCW title. Uh, Maybe maybe it was Sting's uh, cool car. Maybe the uncrowned champion will soon be crowned. A man that weighs in at nearly 450 pounds and indeed does refer to himself as the uncrowned world's heavyweight champion. Of course, we're talking about Big Van Vader and his manager, former seven-time world's heavyweight champion, Harley Race. And Harley Race, well, the collision won't be long now. But to say this man is prepared would be a very gross misstatement. This man is ready. In a very short time, there is going to be a lot of disappointed little stingers running around out there. This man is ready. Sting. Stinger. In just a very short time, Vader is going to take away your most prized possession. For I fear no man, and I feel no pain. The uncrowned champion is going to be crowned very, very shortly. This man. I love how Harley Race said that as they were closing. No, he did a good job here. That was awesome. JR in the body, plug Halloween Havoc. 
and toss to our first semifinal tag match. Steamboat and Koloff come back out. They're going to take on Dr. Death and Terry Gordy, who are already the WCW Tag Champs. They had a bye in this tournament, so this is their first match. We're first now in the, semi, the semifinals. That's right. Gordy will start with Steamboat. Gordy works a headlock on Steamboat. Deep arm drag to Gordy, who tags out. Dr. Death gets locked in an arm bar from Steamboat. Steamer works a hammer lock on Williams for a while. Koloff tags in. Drop toe holds William into an arm bar. Gordy tags in. Koloff drop kicks Gordy and thinks about hitting the Russian sickle, but uh, holds up for some reason. I don't know why. Oh my god. You know why? Because he actually, for a minute, thought back to all those those shots he took on his arm from, from the first match. Pillman and Liger. Yeah. A little bit of psychology. Very little, mind you, but enough to actually... Make make me happy. Williams tags in, dumps Koloff on his head from a fireman takeover. Gordy and the Dragon tag in. Steamboat hits big chops to Gordy in a deep arm drag, and Gordy tags out. Steamboat tries a crucifix but gets rammed into the corner, then lit up with strikes from Williams, who tags out. Gordy slams Steamboat a couple times before laying him out with a clothesline. The heels hit a double-team suplex to Steamer. Steamer can't make the tag to Koloff. This is starting to look a lot like our last match. And Dr. Death tags in. Dr. Death puts Steamboat into the one of the worst-looking rest holds I have ever seen. This looked god-awful, okay? It was like a half-leg lock, and Dr. Death kind of just grabbed the shoulder. He didn't do anything with it to make it look painful. This was bad. They would do much better rest holds throughout the match, but this was, like, unacceptable to me. Dr. Death tags out, and Gordy gets hit with a DDT from Steamboat. So he stole the Freebirds move here. Koloff gets a hot tag, but goes cold quickly as DeCordy and Dr. Death just shut him down. What we've been waiting on, Koloff, oh, he's finally in there. Here he goes up. Just gets shut right the fuck down. Dr. Death drops Koloff throat first on the ropes, locks in a head scissors on the mat while wrenching on his leg. Gordy puts the STF on Koloff, which looks way better than Sean Cena's version. He tags out. He just gives up on the hold. No, he's not going to tap right now. I'll just tag out. <laughs> so Dr. Death comes in, puts on a Boston Crab to Koloff, but Koloff makes it to the ropes. Gordy tags in, goes right back to the STF, but only does it with Koloff's leg for some reason. He's just like, ah, I'm not, not going to bother with the face this time. So then he tags Williams back in, hits a power slam to Koloff for two. Williams looks for snake eyes on Nikita, but Koloff slips out, tags Steamboat in. Here's another hot tag. How hot is it? Not very. Steamboat chops down the heels. He hits a top turnbuckle chop, karate chop to Williams. Goes for another, but Gordy throws him into Dr. Death, who hits a running spine buster, or the stampede to Steamer. And Dr. Death, one, two, three, wins the match. Okay. A lot of the same problems I had with the Austin and Rude match in this one. Because you build up to hot tags that aren't hot. Yeah. That's the thing. If, okay, I'm invested. I get really invested in hot tags. And if they're done well, also, the guy on the outside of the ring, the guy on the apron who is generating excitement for the hot tag is almost just as important as the guy struggling in. You got to start stomping on the mat, getting claps going, reaching out, looking like you really want that tag. These guys tonight were just like holding their arms over the side, and, and that was about as far as they would go. Yeah. Rip. Also, hot tags aren't as impressive in a very small ring. Because very a lot of... This ring seemed incredibly small. Even smaller than 15 feet. Like, I, this is tiny. 16, you mean? WCW was very inconsistent with their ring size. We have a 16, and 18, and a 20, and I'm this is, this is a 16, which is a small ring, by the way. 
Yeah, so I'm uh, almost certain this one was a 16, and so it just it doesn't look as impressive when you're kept in a corner and you're still sort of close to your own corner. If you're gonna build up hot tag spots. At least run wild for a second. Yeah. Give me something. Go for your finisher. Just do something. But they would get these hot tags and just run in there and just get stomped. Yeah. that It just defeats the purpose of building up. And even if you do all these rest hold spots with STFs and... I mean, I get the I get their reasons why they did that because they knew they they didn't want to be like fucking Barry Windham and being sweating their fucking ass off and being tired because they know they got to work more matches. Well, then the guys that are going out should work harder because they're about to go out. They're done. So let's see some more effort here, I guess. Yeah. So yeah, this match kind of I didn't like it. It it reminded me of the last match we just saw. So, what are your thoughts on this match? I loved it. Oh, because Terry Bam Bam Gordy was in it, so it was 10 on 10. Exactly. Five stars, 10 on 10, thumb, double thumbs up. No, uh, I agree with you. It was old school wrestling, though. I like the STFs. I like the ground movement of it, but I also like the powerhouse of Dr. Death. Um, well, I didn't think for two guys that are billed as powerhouses, they weren't hitting enough power moves. And, I mean, scoop slams are nice. I mean, I guess... Because they knew the finish of the world title match, they probably didn't want to do power bombs. Yeah, they like, can't really do a lot of power moves because you don't want to upstage Vader, right? Exactly. But you got to do a little bit more. That's all I'm saying is I got to see just a little bit more. I mean, you got to have respect for those coming after you as well. If you know the main event's going to sprawl out, but into they're also a melee on the floor. Technically, they're building up to their own main event because it goes on after Vader. And well, I get that, so. but I'm just saying. You're told like, "Hey, let's let's work this specific way because I'm gonna have him a uh, smart booker." It's like I'm gonna have him do this. So I really need you to kind of you can do it, but kind of really try to shy away from it as much as you possibly can, but have a good match, you know. And I think that's what they were trying to do. It's because they knew going into our singles bout that that was what mostly it was going to be about. So Hase and Hashimoto are out next. They'll take on the Texicans. Hase starts with Dustin, but Dustin quickly says, you know what, I don't want to wrestle, so he tags in Wyndham. Wyndham comes in, hits an arm drag to Hase. A test of strength with Hase. Boy, the best test of strength I saw tonight was in our singles match. It was one of, I've never seen a crowd oh, yeah. pop for a test of strength yeah. like they popped for that one tonight. Uh, but this one they did not pop for. As a uh, test of strength with Hase ends with Wyndham getting a kick to the face. And uh, Hashi- Hashimoto just tags in. They try a test of strength again, but this time Wyndham suplexes ha- Hashimoto. Rhodes tags in. Hashimoto no-sells some shoulder blocks from Dustin. Hase tags in. They exchange hammer locks and arm bars. Wyndham tags in, hits an axe handle smash, a scoop slam. Then hits some European uppercuts. Where did that come from? That- I need more of that. And then he takes Hase to the mat. Wyndham and Hase exchange some strikes, and Hashimoto comes back in. Hashimoto tries to fully extend an armbar on Wyndham. Ronda Rousey-looking armbar here. Yeah, it was uh, impressive. But Hashimoto has to break his attack when Wyndham gets to the ropes. Rhodes tags in, elbows Hashimoto, drops some knees on the arm of Hashimoto. Rhodes lands some strikes, another bionic elbow to Hashimoto, who stops Rhodes with a kick to the midsection, a scoop slam, and a spinning heel kick. Hase and Hashimoto hit a spike pile driver to Dustin Rhodes. That should be the finish, right? No, it's not. Hase then holds Dustin for a double-team move, but Wyndham saves the day, but Rhodes still ends up getting suplexed by Hashimoto, and then eats a double suplex from the Japanese team. 
Hase locks in a Boston Crab to Dustin. Wyndham breaks it up. Hase hits a belly-to-belly throw to Dustin. Wyndham tags in and suplexes Hase after a big boot and then a power slam. Both teams brawl for a second. Rhodes sends Hashimoto to the floor. Wyndham hits a lariat on Hase and wins the match. There you go. A clothesline from heck uh, wins the match for the big Texican, Barry Wyndham. And they will be going to the finals to meet... Terry, Bam Bam, Gordy, and Dr. Death, Steve Williams. In a match that was better than the last two, but not by much. Your main event is going to be outstanding. I don't know about that. You mean the main event of the singles match? Yes, that would be outstanding. (laughs) Uh, The tag match, don't know about that. Ron Simmons joins Tony and Magnum TA, and he says, Hey, what's up with this title match happening next? Tony and Magnum explain to him about the title match, and then... Ron says his road never stops or slows down, and he's going all the way for that world title. How right he would be at Halloween Havoc. So Simmons wants the world title again. Right now, though, it's time to talk about Big Van Vader and the man called Sting. Vader has his giant Mastodon helmet on. He brings it into the ring, sets it down, and Steam shoots out of the helmet when he sets it down in the ring. One of the coolest things ever. This needs this. Mastodon helmet now needs to go into a Hall of Fame somewhere. Like, it needs to be in a museum. Well, I'd like someone to just send it to me. I'd like to just walk around in this just when I'm not working or whatever. And just... You'd like to actually have someone wrestle in it. He should have wrestled in it. That would have been good. Did he? I don't think he ever. Fa- no. I, he never took even a bump in it, right? No, I, I doubt it. It's probably way too expensive to try to break it or whatever. Yeah. The crowd. Pops huge for Sting as he comes out and he is wearing his American flag getup and his makeup as he's Mr. America now all of a sudden for oh, Great American say, Bash. Can you see by the dark Vader, not dark. intimidated by Sting or America, nah. and he just poses in it, front of Sting, shows him the guns, gives him a gun show. You know what time it is? Uh, it's 8.41. It's Vader time. They lock up in the corner and Vader... Just starts laying in massive fucking forearms. He just starts decking Sting. Sting's face paint is already coming off. <laughs> His head is bouncing. <laughs> He's just hammering this guy. And then he batters Sting with more shots to his face and his back. A short arm clothesline and Sting is like, holy fuck. And he rolls out of the ring to regroup. This is your baby face hero. And he's like, oh, fuck. Oh, fuck. What have I just walked into? So Sting needs to regroup. Yeah. So Vader poses while Sting regroups. Vader no-sells a Sting clothesline. No. No, just not selling. I won't move for that. Sting tries a crossbody, and Vader just catches him and dumps him on the mat. Sting then dodges a Vader splash, which is not a Stinger splash. It's much bigger than that. Much bigger. Then he hits a back suplex and fires up and clotheslines Vader over the ropes. And the crowd is going nuts for this comeback. Like ding, 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 two ding, minutes, in, Two minutes into the match, this comeback, and Sting goes, woo. And you think this guy, oh my god, he's this is over already. This guy's going to kick this guy's ass. It is over. Ding, 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 DQ. He went over the top rope. You know what? WCW rules is in effect in this match. He can't go over the top rope. If you throw your opponent over the top rope, you're disqualified. That's illegal. Sting comes out to retrieve Vader. Harley Race barks some instructions at Vader. Vader gets back in the ring, and they want a test of strength. But Sting 
He chicken shits out of it. Again, <laughs> your hero is like, nah, nah, I don't think so. But he finally does do it, and Stinger just decks him. Jesse thinks he thumbed him in the eye, but I think he just punched thumbed him. Thumbed him in the eye. And then he throws a few more before drop-kicking Vader to the apron. Sting suplexes Vader into the ring. Sting gets slowed down, though, when Vader no-sells a clothesline. Then Sting big boots Vader. Inside cradles him. Only gets a two-count. Vader goes to regroup with Harley Race. Sting tries a sunset flip on Vader, and Vader, uh, this man is fat, so he just sits down on Sting's chest, and then Vader poses, because he's like, ah! Vader then drops some leaping elbows to a down Sting, followed by a big splash. Vader does a step-over toehold on Sting, and Tease is doing a scorpion deathlock. Then he does it! We cut away for some reason, and look at the back of Tony and Magnum TA's head. And so he's out of focus, so we can't see this. We come back to it, and I'm like, holy shit, this is actually a decent-looking sharpshooter. Like, or Scorpion Deathlock, since we're in WCW. Because The Rock sucks at doing this, and here's Vader, a man three times his size, doing it. Ew, but then, uh, yeah, it gets a little tired, and uh, eventually just he's holding Sting's ankles across each other. Sting powers up in his own hold, but Vader just knocks him back down. All of Sting's face paint is now basically gone. Sting manages to break this Scorpion Deathlock somehow. Vader then clubs Sting in the face, and Sting goes down to the mat very hard. Vader then lariats Sting and crumples to the ground again. A one-handed scoop slam for a two-count from Vader to Sting. Sting fires up on Vader with strikes, hits the ropes, hits a front flip kick to Vader's face. He did a front flip with a kick. I don't know what he was doing here, but it was awesome because it was Sting. And this is 1992. And then he hits a DDT. As everyone is doing the DDT tonight, Sting shoulder blocks Vader to the apron. Vader tries to move off the top, which would have gotten him DQ'd, you fucking idiot. Harley Race, what were you doing? Why were you not hollering at him to get the fuck off of there? Sting, of course being a stupid babyface, stops him from getting himself DQ'd, cuts him off, and lays kicks into Vader's midsection. Sting, in the most impressive move of the night... Then hoists Vader up on his shoulders for a fireman's carry. And I'm like, he won't hold this very long. But he does! He carries Vader on his shoulders, away from the ropes. Hits a Samoan drop. One, two, Vader kicks out. The ref takes a ref bump as Sting spun out of a back suplex from Vader. Sting hits a bridging German to Vader. But the ref, Randy Anderson, wakes up late. And only counts to two because he was out of position. Sting hits a one-legged drop kick to Vader, followed by a stinger splash, hits another one, but uh-oh, the second one, he hit his own face on the ring post. That is not good. Sting is dead and draped over the turnbuckle and is bleeding from his head. Vader takes Sting and covers him. One, two, oh no, there's life left in Sting. Sting is all out of sorts, though. When he gets up, he's got blood coming down his face, his face paint's gone, he looks like shit, and he swings, but he just swings and falls flat on his fucking face, because he is out of it. Vader scoops up what's left of Sting, hits a nasty powerbomb. This is ugly. And one, two, three, holy shit, Vader just completely beat Sting cleanly. One, two, three with a powerbomb. Sting looked like Superman. And still came up short. So Your winner and new WCW World Heavyweight Champion. It's time. 
It's time. It's Vader time. And the crowd goes mute, as this was not what they wanted. Yeah. There was one star tonight that really got this crowd going, and he just came out here and got his ass kicked. Yeah. And left in a bloody mess. Any hope for the tag team main event was gone <laughs> uh, at this point. And it was a pretty shocking uh, finish. And yeah. But honestly, Sting looked really, really, really good in it, even though he lost. He looked better than his matches with Ric Flair. And Ric Flair is the greatest. But I'm sorry, Sting looked great with Vader here. He like All of that excitement, that raw energy that Sting brings that, you know, isn't really... You know, he's not a great promo. He's not really great in the ring. He's pretty good, but he's not an all-time great in the ring technician. But he captured all that energy that went along with his character. Just channeled that into a brawl with this big man and threw everything he had at him and just lost. And there's no shame in losing that way. Something that modern-day wrestling booking doesn't do that often where... Because they're so scared. Oh, we can't... We gotta protect Sting here. We gotta protect Sting. Well, Sting was protected here, but he still lost. Sting lost cleanly. I mean, Vader didn't have to cheat... And so both men came out of this looking really, really good. Yeah. And you have a new new top heel, a minted top guy, basically, in your company. A new foil for Sting. I mean, you can get another year out of this if you did it right. And I just thought it was excellent. It was just... Without this match, I would not watch this show. This is actually the only thing I go back and watch on this show. But it's an outstanding match. And they had no right to even want to perform to this level. Especially... If you're in Sting's position, you know you're losing the title on a match that's mostly that's all tag team matches. You're not even the focus yeah. of this thing. And you're going to drop your belt, this belt that you've been started and stopped with before, you know? And he could have just gone out there and wrestled like Michael Hayes tonight and not given a fuck about this. Yeah. But he went out there and did the absolute best he could. I just thought this match was really great. Oh, it's an outstanding match. The biggest moment, like I said, in Invaders... Well, in his American wrestling history, for sure. Probably the best match we've watched in, in quite some time on this show. I think it's better than SummerSlam 02 with Sean and Triple H. I really think so. Uh, this just has a lot of good going for it. And didn't rely on heel interference and just shortcuts. And I loved it. So Yeah, and having Harley Race out there at ringside with him. You know, coached him but not getting involved only added to it. So the referees all come out to scoop up Sting, including Nikita Koloff, his best friend. He decided to come out now. And, uh, and Ron Simmons. Oh yeah, Ron Simmons, yes, the other two faces. Uh, come out to scoop up Sting. Did the uh, Steiners come out? No, they came out for the main event. Oh, okay. they, that's right. They were too busy worried about these fucking belts that they would never get. J.R., the body, Magnum, and Tony remind us that Sting is the best and only made one mistake. So really, all that you watched, he if it wasn't for that one thing, which, by the way, he kicked out of, the one mistake he made, he still kicked out of. So don't give me that shit, WCW. Don't try to take this away from my man, Leon White, because, no, Sting lost this match. Yes, he did make a mistake, but he made a mistake by getting in the ring tonight, okay? That's the mistake <laughs> he made. Easy e is with Harley Race and Vader. Hey, uh, Mr. Race, you had to be shocked. What do you mean, shocked? It went exactly like we thought it would. Vader says, the pain game is over, and he's the world champ. 
Yeah. All right, thanks, Jim Ross, Jesse Ventura. I am with the new world's heavyweight champion, Big Van Vader. And let me start off with you, Harley Race. You had to be shocked, like everyone else, at the shocked? power of Sting. What do you mean, shocked? It went just like it was supposed to be. This man is the greatest athlete on the face of God's green earth. And we just showed every little stinger out there that the myth is gone. The myth has been destroyed. This is the king of athletes, the king of wrestling. The man in wrestling today is Big Van Vader. All right, how about it, Van Vader? Already people talking about the rematch between you and Sting. Will we see a rematch, Van Vader? To me, the pain game has been taught. The lesson has been learned. And brother, the pain game is over for Big Van Vader. Stands on top of the world. The heavyweight champion of the world. Ha <laughs> ha! Yeah! Well, wrestling fans, they talk about history here at the Great American Bash. This one may go down in history as the only heavyweight title match to show up on a Richter scale. Let's go back now to Jim Ross and Jesse Ventura. Okay, well, Vader, you probably could have come up with a better promo here, but that's okay. I'll forget. It's me. no tear in my eye, but <laughs> yeah. it'll, it'll do. Oh, yeah, there's a tag team tournament we still have to finish. Why, I don't know. Gordy and Williams are back out to take on the Texicans. The Texicans. I love that. They should be called that. The Steiner brothers come down to the ring as well. Hey, get the fuck out of here. They get sent to the back, rightly. Fuck off, you two. You fucking sore losers. Yeah, these are like seeds of a heel turn, definitely. Ole Anderson is the referee, by the way. Yeah, he's not taking shit from these he, guys. No, and you better fucking hold that tag rope. That's all I gotta say. <laughs> Holy shit. Every two fucking seconds, he was hollering it. Terry Gordy or Barry Wyndham, hold the tag rope. Steve Williams and Wyndham start things off and do some mat wrestling. They both tag out. Gordy hits a German to Dustin. Dustin delivers multiple elbows to Gordy and then drops knees on Gordy's leg. Wyndham locks in a figure four, but Gordy blocks it. He blocked the figure four. Williams tags in, hits a belly-to-belly on Wyndham. They do some more mat wrestling shit here, exchange hammer locks. Then Williams knees Wyndham in the face a few times, tags in Gordy. Dustin gets a tag as well. Dustin works over Gordy's leg until he can tag out. Slaps on a side headlock to Williams. Williams eventually works out of it, only to get arm drag from Dustin. Gordy tags back in, puts the STF on Rhodes. Rhodes gets out of it, locks in a sleeper. Williams gets a blind tag, axe handles Dustin. Then he works a headlock on Dustin for ages. Dustin then punches out of it. Gordy tags back in. Full crab to Dustin, but Wyndham breaks it. Williams tags back in, power slams Dustin for two. Hey, this is a lot like their last match. They're just, it's building up for a hot tag that won't be that hot. Which Barry Wyndham then gets. He runs wild, sends Gordy out of the ring, suplexes Williams, gut wrenches him, then locks in a sleeper. Naturally, what a guy running wild would do. Williams runs Wyndham into the post with his shoulder. Gordy tags in, suplexes Barry for a two count. We get a chin lock to Wyndham. Wyndham suplexes out of it. Williams tags in, keeps Wyndham from making the hot tag to Dustin this time. He locks in an abdominal stretch to Wyndham, who gets to the ropes. They crack heads together off the ropes, and both men go down. Wyndham finally tags in Dustin, who tees off on Gordy, but Dr. Death hits him from behind. Front face lock. Then Dustin gets kneed from Williams, and the doc tags out. The heels keep Dustin in the corner. Dr. Death rams Dustin corner to corner in a power slam position. And Wyndham and Gordy battle the outside. Doc hits a massive clothesline. One, two, three. That's it. Your winners. And new 
NWA World Heavyweight Tag Team Champions. Yes. Dr. Death Steve Williams and Terry Bam Bam Corey. Yes. Uh, this match, uh, yeah. It was uh, something. Great match. Great match. No, I wouldn't go that far. This was the best tag match on the card tonight. Oh, no. That would have been uh, our boys, Jushin Liger and uh, Flying Brian had the best match of the tag matches. That's uh, second. This would be somewhere in the middle of the many, many tag team matches we watched. It was long. There was a lot of rest holds. It went 21-10. It went four minutes longer than your world title match. Guess what the main event's going to be tonight? A tag team match. <laughs> Teddy Long, who I guess would have been a ref still. T- no, he was a manager because he, he managed, managed Doom. Yeah. Teddy would have loved Teddy. it. Teddy Long, yes, was salivating at this card. He loved it. <laughs> 10 on 10. Perfect. To get that world title match out of here. <laughs> Only need tag matches. This match was uh, pretty generic. Tony and Magnum have a moment with Dr. Death and Terry Gordy. They say that we got all the gold, baby. That's what Dr. Death says. Terry Gordy in his wonderful Southern drawl said, We did it. We did exactly what we was gonna do. That's right. They have all the gold, and I tell you what. We brought the gold home, baby. We've got the gold. And you know what? The executives, the lawyers from Japan, are they excited now? Call him the hotline, buddy. We're gonna call and tell everybody we are the champion, NWA. WCW! Tag Team Champions of the World, sir. Well, there's no doubt about that, you know. We told everybody time and time again what we was gonna do. We went out and we did just that, Tony Schiavone. We brought them all home. We have got all of it right here, and it's gonna be a long, long time before you find the team that can beat this one right here. Tell them, Daddy! They are the Tag Team Champions of the World, Magnum. Halloween Havoc coming soon. Jesse the Body loves it tonight as the heels took home all the gold. This is pretty rare that a pay-per-view card ends with all the bad guys winning. So Jesse had a great night. JR says, hey, give the hotline a call. Have a great night. They would plug the hotline many times throughout this night. This was the only time I mentioned it. But the ho- the hotline was the real star of this show as they wanted to get that money. 909-9900. Kids, get your parents' permission before calling. And there you have it. That is GAB92, a uh, lesson in patience, <laughs> a lesson in uh, tag you act matches. like this is like war torture, having to sit here and watch this. It was really bad. It was really <laughs> tough. There, I just don't know what to say about most of the I tag actually, team I, matches. Now, there were a few that were kind of rough to watch, but I enjoyed the pay-per-view. I wouldn't recommend this pay-per-view. I would recommend the title you like match. southern-based wrestling. Oh, God. No, not even that. I wouldn't yeah. even go that far. I would. If you like sleeping... If you need help sleeping, and you can't find anything else to watch that will put you to sleep, there is nothing calmer outside of the fireworks at the start and the end of this pay-per-view. There is nothing that will wake you up and keep you going. You will be gone by match five. You will be drift away into sleepland because hammer locks and chin locks and... Arm bars. Heat spots, arm bars, leg locks, body scissors. Holy shit. 
these guys these guys could have taken a nap in the middle of the ring. They probably should have. They would have had more energy later on. I understand why they had to do it, but that doesn't make it right. It doesn't make it entertaining. And uh, all you needed to do was throw in one more singles match. They had a dark match with Super Invader and Marcus Bagwell. If they had thrown that in to give these guys a rest, maybe we could have expected more. Maybe we would have got more. Just throw that in somewhere. And then also have your World Heavyweight title go on last, because it was the best match of the night. And it had a shocking ending. And once that ending was done, whatever followed it was dead. It was not... Yeah, this was. I compare this to Taker losing at WrestleMania for the first time, because the crowd was such in shock after Sting losing to, to Vader. Well, you say that, but the Daniel Bryan win still got a big response. I mean, it could have been bigger though had that not gone on before. But it was still. I mean, Daniel Bryan in that main event did fine. I mean, yeah, but I'm talking about the Divas Battle Royal though after. No matter where they put that fucking thing. (laughs) When you just throw that fucking Battle Royal shit in there, it doesn't matter. No one cares. (laughs) So yeah, uh, I really loved Sting and Vader. And so I'm glad we watched this. uh, I love to see Dr. Death and uh, Terry Van Van Gordy. I would like to see their Japan stuff. If this is how they wrestled in the States, I don't ever want to see it again. No, their Japan stuff is outstanding. Well, I'll take your word for it. I don't. I pull can't, it up on YouTube. I don't want to watch it right now. I am done with them for the moment. I don't want to talk to them okay. for a while here. All right. They're Fair just. Enough. They're gone. They're in timeout. One of the one of the best tag teams, I think. Very underrated. Oh, okay. I do. And so. I'm not just saying that because Terry Gordy's in it. Yeah. Okay. He's the most protected guy on the show here. <laughs> He can do no wrong. He's the greatest. He's the John Cena to our podcast. He's the Roman Reigns of this business. <laughs> yeah, he's the... <laughs> So, on your rating scale, Hornswoggle to Giant Gonzalez, where do you stack Great American Bash 1990 and 2? I'll give it to Terry Bam Bam Gordy. Terry Bam Bam Gordy. I will give it... A Jushin Thunder Light. <laughs> it was... So we're kind of... We're, we're sort of in the ballpark. Yeah, I, I don't know about that. <laughs> like, we're not... We're not way close, but we're not way off either. We're... Yeah, so that was... <laughs> that. <laughs> now, for next week... Jason Tick, who's on the Facebook page for the Retro Wrestling Podcast. Jason, good to hear from you again, brother. We hadn't heard from you since, what? The The Natural Disasters and the Legion of Doom. Yeah, yeah. Awesome to hear from Jason again, man. He wants to hear Money in the Bank 2011, which is the CM Punk year, so we'll watch that. Sweet. As it was a... uh, Pretty interesting uh, storyline. It actually relates to today because they're trying to do the same thing today with Roman Reigns and Brock Lesnar where it's one guy, uh, you know, Roman tries to elude that Brock is going to leave with the belt and go back to the UFC and he doesn't care about the fans or whatever and that is sort of what Vince was saying about CM Punk at the time 
as his contract really was coming due. It wasn't coming due that day. That was all storyline. But it, it came due earlier in that week, so it did come down to the wire. Would CM Punk re-sign? You'll just have to wait and see if he did. Money in the Bank 2011 took place in Chicago, by the way. So they actually... This crowd was red hot. If I remember, I mean, this crowd was insanely hot. Oh, yeah, because they actually, imagine that, Patrick. They knew this guy's hometown, and they actually booked him in a big spot. And yeah, this crowd was, and they did, they were loud and vocal and didn't give a fuck about anything else. They wanted their main event. Yeah, and they, there was a sign in the crowd that was a lot like the uh, One Night Stand sign that was like, if CM Punk doesn't win, we riot, or whatever. And they, they probably would have. I wouldn't put it past them. Yeah, this was... Uh, well, and plus you also had the possibility of a cash-in. So that was floating around in the back of yeah their heads as well. It's like, well, even if he does win, are they just going to fuck him out of the belt right after? So yeah. there was a lot of great... And this is around the time this was the aftermath of the pipe bomb promo and all the great publicity that got and how... People thought it was the second coming of Stone Cold Steve Austin, and the Attitude Era was back, baby, and not quite, but it was a very nice promo. It was a very cool moment in time that it'll be a while before that's replicated again based on how they do things, so that's what we'll do. Money in the Bank 2011, uh, shortly after we went to WrestleMania that year, which was a god-awful WrestleMania. I don't... Yeah. 27. 27, yeah. yeah. Don't want to relive that one. Why? Sucks, man. The Miz walked out as champ, baby. Aside from that fact... We had Jerry the King Lawler wrestle at WrestleMania. Yeah, but he wrestled Michael Cole, so... Okay, well, you're missing the... Austin hit a stunner on Michael Cole. Yeah, but he had hit stunners before, you know? Damn, dude, you're a half-glass-empty kind of guy, aren't you? At the time, I wasn't so down on it, but... Uh, it was. It's pretty bad. The Rock was there. The Rock guest hosted it. He was, but he wasn't there to wrestle. We so. were on the floor of the Georgia Dome. We were near the floor. We weren't. We were on low risers, but we were on the floor. We were close to the floor. We were behind. Yeah, the building doesn't even exist anymore. We were behind uh, Cole and uh, King and everyone else. A long way back. Yeah. So that's where we'll go next week, and that'll do it for this week. I'm intern Alex. I'm the one and only, the greatest referee in professional wrestling history. Patrick Young. Saying, as always, my closing line's a clothesline. And bingo, bingo. In wrestling, the action is only as good as the storyline. The strongest story, the battle of an underdog. Matt Capitelli, the fan favorite who fights to the last. Matt Capitelli, dust your shoulder off, why don't you just take it to Charlie Haas? Fans and friends, everyone, everyone loved Matt. Matt Capitelli, the thrill seeker! He had it. Beyond just uh, what an entertainer would have. Oh, and a drop kick into the chest! He's the best. Genuinely wonderful human being. But now, a new challenger is on the horizon. The most aggressive there is. Uh, grade four. Capitelli's most formidable. Glioblastoma.
foe. Which is... Yet. Ironically, the most common, but also the most deadly form of brain cancer. Are you telling a story with your face? You gotta react to action. Capitelli's a trainer for Louisville-based Ohio Valley Wrestling. Telling a story with your body? His story is a sequel, a rematch. Capitelli's first battle with brain cancer in 2005 was a drama-filled fight that played out as the world watched. He won a reality show two years earlier and a WWE contract. It was assigned to OVW in Louisville as a developmental trainee. But Capitelli never made the call-up to a full-time spot on the WWE roster. Setbacks kept him back in OVW. First a broken leg, then a concussion, and then... Oh! This fateful blow. He got knocked out. When he came to, he just didn't have, uh, didn't have all his faculties. So Al and myself sent him to the hospital. I hadn't even thought I had a concussion. I felt completely fine. I thought they were going to look, find nothing, go home. A team of doctors comes back and say, we find a mass in your brain. We don't know what it is. I'm not going to be able to live up to what this stands for. The cancer ended his in-ring career. And I pray personally that I can make an impact. The same faith that carried Capitelli through 10 years of remission. In Jesus' name, amen. Now has him believing in a miracle. Yeah, this is a this is a significant tumor. In June, surgeons removed 90% of the mass pressing here on Capitelli's skull. A diagnosis of cancer like this is not a war. It's a military campaign. In other words, you fight battles, then you have to replenish, then you reorg, then you fight again. But there's it's a journey. 13,000 people die from cancer like this each year. It is terminal. And doctors say only 5% of patients survive. Five years. I'm gonna lock you down so you can't run from So far, the journey's left Capitelli with the effects of Parkinson's, but not the disease. It slowed his speech, emotional response, motor skills, and function. At times from the outside, you see the trauma inside his brain. And it was about a week before this happened, or a week after this happened, that we were supposed to debut on Monday Night Raw. And remind me of your question, because I just blanked out. Capitelli won't tap out. Ever the wrestler at 38 years old, He's trying to regain what he's lost and tagged in a new partner for the battle. Trying a new device, it's called Optune, and what it is, it's basically an electrode filled uh, adhesive bandages that fit all across my head. The Optune looks like a swim cap, but works to stop the tumor from growing. Basically prevent brain tumor cells from dividing. It stays on 18 hours a day, in effect, slowing time in his brain on the cancer cells. For Capitelli, treatment is like a four corners match with allies on every side of the ring. The love of his wife, his faith, science, and... This business is his, is his passion. I think it's his therapy. On this night, Capitelli is once again the star of the show. Hey, Former hey. students, 30. friends, even some foes, gather for a benefit wrestling event in his honor. Matt Capitelli's story, though it seems unfortunate, I want it to be portrayed as a story of hope, you know, unending hope. Fans around the world have formed Team Cap. A lot of you might not understand how much 
this moment means to me. Rally behind their champion, raising more than $30,000 to help him with medical expenses. Because it's times like this that you need to know who's in the corner. We got your back, my friend. We got your back. No doubt, Capitelli's back is on the ropes. When I do get through this, That's right. I do finish this. But he wrestles with life the same way he did in the ring, believing he will triumph one more.